0: Hey, this is Russ Braun, uh, artist of Six Pack and Dog Welder. You're listening to 11 O'Clock
1: Comics. Nice.
2: Did you, you pleased with that one? I am. Okay. I am.
1: The first one was a little scourgy. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit.
2: Nothing wrong with a little scourge.
1: <laughs>
0: or scourge. Yes. I like both. Yeah.
2: I fumble the pronunciation all the time anyway. So I, I, I just don't give a damn about pronunciating. Not you? No. the hell are you I just don't care. Life is too short to worry about if you're saying something right. Those with the uh, receptor on the other end are going to get what you're saying. So if you say something... You mispronounce something. Oh well, is your is your life that hollow that you're going to make fun of somebody for mispronouncing a word? Whatever. Don't care. No, ki- don't I mean, care.
1: There's it's it's because it, generally, if you're mispronouncing it, it means you learn the word by reading because nobody said it to sure. you. Sure. If there, if 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 at some point you just are on the verge of of being belligerent because you you are continually mispronouncing it just because either you're lazy or you want to even though the other person has expressed this is the word right other things there could be some fallout there
2: or or you could be jason and mispronounce regina 17 billion different ways. And he's been here for 12 years. He pronounces it different every time. And I, I don't call him on it because, no like one, you know I don't care. Exactly. Right. I, and I know what he's trying to say. But he'll say Regine, Regine, Regina, Regina, like, whatever. You're a good man, Jason that Big Wood.
1: old pile of stuff. True.
2: I mean, okay, mispronunciation is not in the same league with botching an apostrophe. That is an unforgivable sin.
1: Yes, it is. Because that that's just outside. a lack. Of, that
2: is just a lack of information.
1: Yeah.
2: On your there, part, just, on the writer's part. Yeah. Yeah. There's,
1: there's no. I mean, there, there's got to be room for improvement. But no. I, it's okay. you're, you're, you're showing me there's there's not a lot to work with to begin with.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey everybody, what is this? <laughs> it's eleven o'clock grammar. No, it's eleven, 11 o'clock comics episode seven. No, six hundred. I'm going to do that over again because I just fucked the pooch on that. Oh <laughs> Yes. Three. Blah, 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 blah,
1: blah, blah, blah.
2: And what is this? Wow. It's 11 o'clock comic, 670. Yikes. And Ow. and I am Vince B.
1: You are Vince B. And I am David A. Price.
2: Hiya. Hi. Hi. Yes, hi. Normally,
1: we are. Normally, we'd, we'd, we'd hear... Yes, you are, and I
2: am yeah.
1: someone else, but we don't, we don't have that time.
2: We don't, because hes but happy he's, birthday, he's got something better to do yes. than be with his booze and fulfill a, a job requirement that he knows he has every week, but that's okay. It, it, <laughs> it's a good cause, but we have a more than suitable replacement, a far more suitable replacement, because it is a longtime friend of the show he is a comic scholar he's a comics fan he talks about comics on the pictures within pictures podcast he writes stuff mm-hmm. he, he he's done mystery solved and 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 he's got a book coming out very shortly that he's going to tell you uh all about it's it's a book um about some dude named steve ditko i know it's a shock and once, I mean, you, once you hear his name, you'll be like, oh, that guy. It's Zach Crusay.
0: Hi. Hey. Hello. What's up, buddy? Oh, nothing. I'm just sitting around the house. Waiting for our walls. call? Waiting for your call. Yeah. But the, yeah. Past, the past 63 days, just waiting on this call.
2: Well, I, I lost count of how many times you've been on with us. It's at least five, probably more. Jason would have had the stats. Oh, of course, if he were here, he would have had the stats, but he's not. So it's
0: got to be like a. It's got to be close to a dozen.
2: You think? Well, at least once. Yeah. If it was at least once a year, which I'm guessing may be true, then yes, you 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 are, yeah. I would love to to do the breakdown. Jason, as David said, Jason probably already has that done. And, and I would guess it's more than 10, which is pretty yeah. awesome.
0: Yeah, it's a lot. I remember the very first time I was on, it was uh, me and Tom Cater's were on, and it was a Halloween episode, ah, or a Halloween-themed episode. Yes. That was a good one.
2: Yeah, that would fill me with dread to uh, <laughs> to to co, co-guest with Tom Cater's. Oh, yeah. He is a formidable brain. He uh, is, yeah, smart, and man. and I'd be I'd be very wary of of uh, taking uh, the second fiddle to Tom because there's no way you're going to even compete, never mind eclipse.
0: No, 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 no. He's just he's too quick.
2: Yes, I, I've always had the utmost respect for Tom.
1: Yeah, me too.
2: Yeah. So like the last
1: time you were on Zach was back in July. So, so almost a year. Uh, looks like you did not come on in 2017. <gasps> which, I mean, it, it was a dark year from January on, so that's fine. Uh, that's true. Uh, let's see. So we have, in reverse order, episode 619, according to the show notes, as long as they're accurate. Uh, episode 527.
2: What's the show As long as they're accurate. <laughs>
1: 436. Um, May 2015, episode 366. Uh, May 2014, wow Word, this is, I like I like how we can almost depend on you in the, in, <laughs> or Around Mother's Day Uh, episode 318 in May Of my, 2014, August 2013 We got you on episode 279
2: My birth month Uh,
1: yes, uh, May Again, in 2012, episode 213 Oh, we missed it June in 2010, so you weren't on in 2011 Episode 111 uh Okay, October 2008 for episode 28.
2: and But he gets yeah, a bonus was... point because he was on Bullpen Bulletins with us. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is that, 10, 11? Two,
1: 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. This is 10. Nice. Wow. That's, That's awesome. That's pretty
0: good. That's really good. I'm really proud of that number.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're full of shit. Oh wait, hold on, no, 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 because you were on. You were on episode 500, weren't you? Because that's when we had everybody on. Uh,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. And so, I was on. And did did you count the uh, book of the month from C2E2? No, from he did trainers. not. So twelve. That
1: was, yeah. So this is number twelve. Look at you. How about that?
0: What an incredible guesser I am.
1: <laughs> okay, so yeah, all right, so, so yeah, so, so barriers for, for C2E2 then. I guess we didn't break it down, everybody in the room. We just no,
2: a bunch so, of fools fine. help us out with the right. book of the month because they have nothing better to go. do.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, they were trapped in a room with us, so.
2: Are you looking for inexpensive comic books, graphic novels, and everything else in the previous catalog? All the time. Right?
1: Every, Every month. At least every
2: month. Yeah, at least once a month. Well, you know, there's only one place to really go, and that's Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get your books, get them fast, get them delivered right to your damn door for a mere fraction of what everybody else is paying. Uh, I'm not going to go down the list, even though they're still available, because I don't want to retread any steps, but suffice to say, the discounts are both deep and very, very plentiful at dcbservice.com. They have everything and you're not going to pay the retail price for anything. Discounts range from 20 to 50, sometimes even more percent off. They, it's a wonderful establishment. We love them. They love us. There's a reason why, because they are the best. I wouldn't think about going anywhere else. So, do the same. If you love comic books and you don't love paying a whole lot of money for them, you got to go to Discount Comic Book Service. And while you're there, traipse on over with your little digital fingers and go to InStockTrades.com because two halves of the same coin. So, do it. DCBService.com. Don't make me tell you again. No, Well, not, till the, not for another couple of hours. Yes. A couple, three, four hours. couple, three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So let's focus on our guest for a little while, because um, I know he's not uh, a limelight stealer, but th- there's a very significant thing on the horizon, and we need to talk about it, because it was a a very uh, noteworthy accomplishment, I think. How many of our friends write frickin' books? Number one. Number two, how many write them on the level of this jabroni here? Insight, investigative journalism, just uncovering the, the, the gears and the working machine behind Steve Ditko. I want to hear about it.
0: Uh, okay. So, yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> Shut where up. To begin- <laughs> it's, it's- <laughs> Let's begin at the beginning. Yes. Um, I've been working on this book for a long time, I guess. I Since 2014 is I think the first time I published anything that appears um, in this book. I wrote an article for a journal called studies in comics, and it was about, um, the relationship between, uh, Spider-Man, uh, Peter Parker and Ted cord. And, um, I more or less think that they're the same character. Uh, Ditko laughed at me about that, but artists don't always, um, don't always know the effect, right? Intent is not the same as effect. Um, so I've been, I've been working on it since then. It, uh, and then when I came to Michigan State University, where I just finished my PhD, uh, I came here with that project in mind to work on that project as a dissertation and, and book. But I, always was, I was always writing it as a book, um, always. So the book is called Mysterious Travelers, um, Steve Ditko and the Search for a New Liberal Identity, and it's at the University Press of Mississippi. Uh, it's available for pre-order right now. You can get it fr- directly from the UP Miss, uh website. They've got the pre-order price, I think, is 30% off. Um, on both the paperback and the hardcover. Order whichever you you please, but there's no difference in content. Um, I'll be ordering the paperback for myself. So, uh, But it's also available on Amazon and through... Um, it, it'll be available through Comic Shops later for pre-order, I think in November or December of this year, because uh, it comes out in February 2021. Um, it's also up on uh, IndieBound, which is sort of like a A collective of independent bookstores so if you don't want to buy from amazon for reasons that are very good um you can go to IndieBound and you can still uh, order it online um so anyway so that's that's where you can get it um the book itself is really about thinking about steve ditko's philosophy and politics and what they represent and sort of where they are couched in sort of the american sort of um consciousness of the late 20th century and Ditko's really interesting because a lot of times what happens with him is that and we all know this is that people just assume that he's an objectivist right uh, sure. and I I felt, I fell into that trap too there was a long time because I had always heard well Steve Ditko's an objectivist so of course he's an objectivist he's not um uh, he he never was he, he likes Ayn Rand he, like, he liked her a lot, but that's not the same thing as being a disciple. Um, I, I try to live my life by the golden rule. I'm not a Christian. So, you know, it's it's one of those types of things. So instead, what his ideas are is they're much more distinct and they represent something that's much more complicated than just objectivism. Uh, it's something that I'm calling mystic liberalism, which is this sort of sense of uh, late 20th century liberal capitalism, merged with um, sort of the obsession with the occult and mind power that that uh, happens in the uh, right after world war one uh, and after and sort of really picked up momentum through the interwar period and through world war Two, and this eventually turns into what we now call the prosperity gospel and how those two things sort of co-mingle um ditko wouldn't believe and didn't believe in the prosperity gospel. There's no th- reason to think that he did, but his politics and his philosophy sort of make sense of why people were really invested in uh, popular writers like Dale Carnegie and Norman Vincent Peale and uh, on down the line, eventually someone like Joel Osteen or even uh, you know other prosperity gospel type folks uh, who just imagined, or uh, Rhonda Burns' The Secret is another really great example of this, that you can just if you just think hard enough, if you if you try hard enough with your mind, you can materialize success or wealth.
2: Creative or visualization.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Like <clears throat> that that you that the mind itself is God. It is the generative force of your life and the universe that that surrounds you, right? right. So there's something there's something really appealing about that, but there's also something really dangerous about that because the alternative is, is like, well, if you have bad thoughts, then that's why bad things happen to you. And that's that's craziness, right? Uh, But that's sort of where we fall with a lot lot of the stuff that Ditko puts down in his comics. Um, It's also what happens a lot with someone like Ayn Rand. Um, She really believes, as along with her former lover and then sort of excommunicated Nathaniel Brandon, really believed in the power of self-esteem. That's the same thing. Um, And believed that self-esteem was the cause for any sort of cultural social personal malfeasance or anything anything bad like that that was who they were um so these ideas they get really they get really sort of complicated and netted up and sort of what's happening in the mid 20th century and Ditko's work provides a really interesting window into that um and you see these things in a lot of sort of peripheral uh stories and popular media at the time right they're happening everywhere but a good example is um brian garfield's death wish that is gets wrapped up in these things um and, and lots of popular media of the 70s and 80s are really worried about this stuff in in one form or another they're not saying it but they're all sort of speaking to the same thing so the book does a lot with that uh, and well, sort of yeah. traces the, oh go ahead
2: one second number yeah. one i'm glad i have my stretchy pants on be- yeah. <laughs> because if, if you're going to start talking magic then i'm i need a little bit of room in the pants oh, right and f- number two i'm again the stretchy pants because jason just popped into the room
3: and i'm cashtego
2: yeah <gasps> No,
3: you're... <What> we <laughs> What's up? hey buddy damn i i i fucking you know how you have those dreams sometimes where you 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 get this anxiety-laden belief that you actually never graduated from college like you don't actually have a degree at least I used to. When I was younger. I just had one I just walked into one of those. I, I walked into a lecture. I was like, what is going on? I'm like, I am miss I am I am miss the I'm knee deep in, in high concept. This will not be a night of, of three titted women. No. Professor Crusade.
2: I think we can work the three titted women in with the magical realism.
1: Yeah.
3: Nice. Um, no, I, I'm 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 so giddy I, I was I was afraid I was going to miss the professor, uh, and uh, it's lovely to hear your voice, my friend. You too, buddy. You too. Congratulations on the book. Well, well deserved and, and long. I know a long journey, so it's awesome to see it.
0: No, no, I'm I'm really excited about it. It's it's finally here. It's finally out of my hands, and I just have to wait for it to be
3: printed. So it's it's
0: exciting. Awesome. All right, um, carry on. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's that's sort of that's sort of the premise of the book, right? Is exploring this really strange strand of the american political consciousness of the 20th century and what are the ramifications of that and the craziest one out of all of it is or the sort of the end point for all of this is not just the trump presidency and there's there's a really interesting book that gary lackman wrote about uh, trump and um new thought and mind power and that kind of stuff uh but uh but ronald reagan was was a like a full fledged believer in all of this stuff and constantly quoted new thought um, mysticism in his speeches when he was uh, he did it in the 1950s. He did it in the sixties when he was uh, governor of California. He did it when he was first started running for president. And then he did it again in an issue of parade magazine where he cites, he tells this story and he's told this, he tells the story multiple times about this, And I'm I'm not trying to be cheeky with the language, but he tells a story about a mysterious stranger, a traveler who shows up at the at the Constitutional Convention. Right. Who urges on the the founders, the framers to sign the document and then disappears without a trace. And that I mean, these are like the Mahatmas from Blavatsky and the, the masters of ancient wisdom, all of and all of these things. Right. So Reagan quotes this and treats it as though it's real. He's getting it from a book by Manly P. Hall called The Secret Destiny of America. Hall is getting it from a fictitious story from the 1800s, right, that he accepted that the whole cloth is real. So so it's not just this thing that, that Ditko is responding to or, or is part of – it's a part of the fabric of the country and shaping sort of the way that politics happen. Um, and, you know, and like I said, I mean, the, the, the best part about it for me, as someone who loves Ditko's work, is that – his career gives us a clear insight into all of it, so um, it's so there you have it. Uh, so the book starts in 1953 when he starts working at Charlton, and then more or less stops around 1986 um, because that's when Watchmen comes out, and that's the book that's responding directly to everything Ditko did up to that point. Um, and there are later works sort of peppered in um, as I as I feel is necessary, but that's really sort of. The, the the temporal markers of, of the thing. Um, I spend a lot of time talking about Spider Man and Doctor Strange uh, and Mister A and all that kind of stuff. Um, the other thing that came out of it that's sort of unrelated to the politics, uh, but is a really worthwhile discussion, and that will be a topic of a later book, is race and Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange is Asian. Period. <laughs>
1: that's right.
0: he, he's not white, um, and he wasn't white when Ditko created him and became white Um, once Stan Lee started writing, uh, wrote the origin story or insisted on an origin story, um, a story that's the exact same, almost the exact same or an inverse of Dr. Druid, right? Dr. Droom was this white guy who goes to the East and gets ancient, you know, meets with the ancients and becomes a magical East Asian man. Dr. Strange was an East Asian guy who was East Asian and then Stanley gets a hold of the hold of the story and then makes him a white guy. Um so I mean that's that's kind of hard to to unsee uh when that happens and it really only happens for real physically with Doctor Strange once George Russo's um who's going by George Bell uh once George Russo's takes over the Anks on Doctor Strange the first time he does it uh he's he's maintaining fealty to sort of the racial sort of physiognomy that Ditko's laid out and then two or three issues later all of a sudden Strange is re-inked as a white guy. Um, there's no written record of why that happens, but I think it's pretty easy to put the pieces together there on what's happening um, and where sort of instructions are coming from as, as far as that goes um, and then sort of re-assumes his Asia, East Asian identity once Bell is off the book and Ditko is re-inking everything. So So there's there's a lot happening there as far as that stuff goes um, in terms of the erasure, because once that goes off the book and it's everybody else, everybody else draws Dr. Strange to look like he's fucking Vincent Price. So which is fine. I love Vincent Price. But Vincent Price is not from Tibet where Dr. Strange very definitely is from. So um, so that there's something there's something really important about that, that sort of history there, Um, because if Dr. Strange had maintained his East Asian identity. That would have been the first character at Marvel to be a person of color that maintained their own title for the better part of three decades, right? I mean, Black Panther didn't get his own title until the seventies, uh, and is also and also doesn't come about until another like year or two years after Doctor Strange. So, so there's a lot there's a lot of sort of secret history involved in the book too, as far as that stuff goes. So, yeah. There
2: you go. Well, I don't know about, I, I think it sounds awesome, but getting back to the magical thinking, mm-hmm. uh, wh- whenever the uninitiated, are like, what is this all about? Well, I, I direct them towards talking heads. And there, there's a song by the talking heads called Seen and Not Seen. And the protagonist of the song looks in the mirror, doesn't like what he sees, and begins a process of changing the reflection over a period of time. And how Mm -hmm. does it, and, and if you will it to be, it will happen. It may not, it's not Sabrina. You're not going to blink and, and make a, you know, Caesar salad. That's not how it works. Um, if, if you will something to come into reality, it will happen later rather than sooner. But by directing all of your, your will to a certain task, if you're conscious of this task coming to be, you will change. Your, your behavioral patterns. You'll change the way you think and the way you move and the way you act and in order to make this thing happen. So it's not really... I think the the magic part of it is a misnomer, but it's it's just using your brain to get something you want, to change the way you... All those things I said to achieve a goal, right? And sure. that's, that's nothing more than the will. And the will initiates in the brain. It or, or originates in the brain. So yes, it is using your brain to change things. Um, and I find that fascinating that did go was ingrained in that kind of thinking, because to be honest, um, maybe it's because I've read all the stuff decades ago. I didn't get that when I first read it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think when you go back though and you re- sort of relends it, you'll start to see it. Right. Like, so two really good examples of that. Well, three really good examples of that. The first one and, and examples that are near and dear to everyone's heart. Right. And the first one is Peter Parker. That entire run, that Amazing Fantasy fifteen to Amazing Spider Man thirty seven plus the plus the annuals, right? That is one continuous story about one person's will to uh, reshape themselves intellectually over a period of time to become something other, right? To become something different, to be so, to become an ideal, and that really sort of culminates in that master planner sequence uh, of issues, right? Especially in 33, in the five pages of 33, like it's all right there, right? It's all internal. It's not about Peter Parker's superpowers. It's not about his costume. It's not about anything other than his conscious mind and his memories of his past and his heart, right? And all of those things can, like those are the things that sort of calcify and solidify to create this the hero that he is supposed to be. Everything up to that point, is sort of building towards that, right? By the time you get to issue thirty-three, Peter Parker is the exact inverse of the person that appears in Amazing Fantasy fifteen. That's not an accident, right? That's not that's not coincidental. Uh, Doctor Strange, right? Even though Ditko never had anything to do with psychedelic drugs or anything like that, that every Doctor Strange story is about a. Dr- well, almost every Doctor Strange story is about a journey inside of the mind. Like, where does, where does Doctor Strange always go? It's always to an internal space, right, where he has to sort of meet the sort of the challenges and the conflicts within himself. And all of the dichotomies, the good versus evil, all that stuff, he has to sort of stand those things down, right, in order to emerge from that intraspace that cosmic interest space, to be whole right to earn whatever sort of uh, medallions or whatever the or new cape or uh, amulets or whatever that they that the ancient one gives him all of those things are earned because dr strange goes into his own mind and and stands these things down the very first dr strange story is about dreams Right. Dr. Strange is a therapist who who goes inside of a man's dream and defeats his nightmares and forces the man to confront the evil and and the horrific things that he's done. And the guy can't take it. Right. And because he can't take it, that guy fails. Dr. Strange doesn't fail. But the man really struggles. Right. Because of these internal conflicts within himself. Right. Whether it's whether it's what you're saying with its will or just intellectual fortitude, fortitude or any of those things, it's all about sort of the internal space. Um, uh, But even like when he's working with other writers, like Archie Goodwin, right? Who wrote scripts when they worked together at uh, at Warren, right? Like in stories like Deep Ruby, those are all about internal spaces and delving inside of yourself, inside of your own mind to sort of figure out what's going on with you. Um, But the biggest one though is the right to kill. Lots of people give Ditko a hard time about the right to kill because they think it makes him sound like a fascist. Mm Because his superheroes kill people, and he thinks that they should kill people. Well, that's not – I mean, I get that, right? I, I don't want to tell people who read it that way that they're wrong, but I don't agree with that, right? Because if, if you take time to sit down and really think through what's happening there, right, Mr. A, I don't think is real, right? Mr. Yeah. A is an idea. Interesting. He's an idea that exists in this space, and then the other characters around him are responding to that idea, to that, not just an idea, but an ideal, right? And then how they how they respond to Mr. A, how they respond to the card is not about Mr. A. It's about their psychic state, right, and what they choose. And when they're choosing life or death, they're choosing within themselves wh- where they're going to be. He's not really choosing like, you are going to die at this point, right? The question is the same way. I'm not sure that the question is a real person.
2: Right. It's kind of like right. uh, Gerber with the Man-Thing. The Man-Thing yeah. was never the, the nucleus of the story. He, it was, he was the instigating factor in getting all of the supporting characters into their position to do things. But, the, yeah. you know, the book may have been called Man-Thing, but it was not about the Man-Thing.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. Mr. A is not about Mr. A. It's about an idea, right? Right. And the idea that they happen to be responding to in that is a sort of mutated version of objectivism, right? Which is not necessarily the same thing as saying Steve Ditko believes in that, right? But he is experimenting with that as a thought form in a comic. And if that thought form were to exist, how might people respond to it, right? He's not saying, I believe in this. He's not saying, I think this is right or wrong. He's saying, here, I'm presenting you with an idea. Here's how I believe Characters in the story will respond to that idea. How, how do you, dear reader, respond to the way that I presented the story, right? That's not the same thing. It's, it's a fine line, but there's, there's some differences there. There's some nuances there right. that I don't think he's, he gets credit for, right? He constantly gets called, you know, a crank because of that kind of stuff. But I think he's doing something really profound and complicated that um, people choose not to see, which, again, I know I'm just vomiting out the mouth here. But, I mean, again, that's part of the problem though, right? As, there's this, that, as Ditko sees it, this choice, right? This internal space that you, the reader, are not contending with because you are have barricaded yourself off to certain ideas, right? Here's an avenue to try to think about something different.
2: Right. And I think that's why, one of the reasons why Ditko's work has endured over all these decades was because he wrote above. Yeah. He, he, he created something that could be perceived on one level as pure pop entertainment and on another once you you know peeled away the rapper uh was uh something on which to chew right
0: like, well, yeah. and that that that's what denny o'neill said about him right whatever Ditko was writing whatever differences that he and denny o'neill had socially politically whatever o'neill was one of the first people to say it's like he's not writing comics for the same people i'm writing comics for right and he meant differences in like ability to read like literary philosophic stuff. He's like I'm not he's not writing comics to be sold to 10-year-olds. He's writing comics to be sold to 25 25- and 30-year-olds. Yeah. And that's that there's something there's something to be said about that.
2: Well, the work has staying power because you it, it it will reveal in accord to the level of involvement you have with the work. If you want to really take it on, you'll get something in return. If you just want to look at it as a red and blue character, you know, who who tries to step up after the death of his uncle, that works too. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that works on a very base level, but you know, he's just not, that's not clearly not where his heart was, you know, in producing, which is, you know, when he leaves Marvel and he becomes, he starts doing more independent work. You see a lot more of that, uh, especially in the eighties where it's more, it's much more personal. It's much less poppy in those ways. Um, and when he is going back and working at Marvel, it's just not the same, right? Um, it's a job, which is fine, but it's clearly a job because you can see like clear differences in the quality of line work in say static that as opposed to the Iron Man issues he did with squirrel girl right. or, uh, the mocker versus, uh, speedball, right? It's not that it, you know, he, they're just jobs, right? Those, those Marvel things are just jobs. Um, where the the stuff that really matters is happening, you know, elsewhere.
2: It's very true. I I have a
1: okay. I I, I have a question, and I don't want to derail the conversation. If 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 you have something in mind, you're, you're you're heading towards, so we can touch on it later. But I I since, since I thought of it since you mentioned. Nineteen eighty-six and Watchmen, and, and and Ditko's characters, um, has in 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 all the fanzines I've read, all, all all the interviews I've I've looked up, I don't think I've ever seen anything. Has he ever made his feelings known on what Alan did with the Charlton characters?
0: There is an apocryphal story about this, um, and I want to emphasize apocryphal. That someone at the DC, someone ran into him at the DC offices uh, or maybe elsewhere and asked him what he thought of of Rorschach. And he said, Oh, he's like Mr. A, except he's crazy. Um, So if that story is true, which it sounds true enough, um, then yeah. I mean, and the other thing too is, I mean, in spite of perhaps his reputation. I mean, he did keep up and read what was new and happening in comics, right? I mean, he didn't read everything he couldn't have. None of us can do that. But but he was aware of what was going on around him, especially when he was really active um, throughout the 80s and stuff. I mean, he would have been around all those folks who were reading Watchmen because he was still doing work at Marvel uh, at the time. So uh, on ROM and what have you. Um, so, so he was certainly aware of it. Um, but that's the only story I know of where he responded to it directly but it's but it's clear to me though that i mean aside from the fact as we all know blue beetle the question are and and, um and captain adam i mean those are the obvious analogs for for watching we all know that that's not new information um but but politically i mean all of those characters sort of align right like where Moore just takes the characters and then cranks them up, you know, to 11 uh, on whatever Ditko had for them. And, like, especially with Rorschach, I mean, again, that's the really obvious one, but I think that's the... But I, I would use that example because it's so easy for people to sink their teeth into. Like, even the way that Alan Moore writes Rorschach's dialogue is exactly the way that Ditko was crafting dialogue in a lot of his independently produced comics, right? Very staccato, just just getting to like the big sort of important words, lots of ellipses. I mean, that's the way that Ditko characters talked. Um, and, and all the way up to the day that he died, he wrote characters like that. So, so there's that sort of obvious homage, but I think that Moore is really trying to do the politics, right? He's trying to re- he's, he's trying to interpret the politics of those characters and what they might actually be. Um, if the Charlton world existed and you know, there's, some places where I think he's probably closer than not, um, but there's a lot of ways in which I think he really misreads Ditko, um, and you know, that, I'll leave that for other people to decide. But, but it's really it's really obvious to me. I mean, that he's trying to imagine what he believes Steve Ditko's sort of politics are, and Alan Moore clearly re- thinks Ditko's politics are really reactionary, and um, he's not necessarily wrong about that but i think he has a less nuanced view of of those politics than than he might uh he he, he might otherwise be capable of i'm really i'm really hedging my bets there but uh i, I want to be fair to him uh, um so 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 there is something going on there with all of that though i mean he, he's trying to imagine what steve ditko's world would look like and sure. to a certain to a certain degree. In 1986, okay, maybe it seems science fictiony, but like, think of it this way: like the argument that I'm making is, it throughout the book is that Ditko's politics, good, bad, or indifferent, represented like a really significant strain of American political thought that we are not talking about yet, and by the time we get to to Reagan and then the Trump stuff in the early eighties when Trump is really starting to rise as a pop culture figure to today, it's all right there, right? Like it's all I mean, Trump is constantly hedging his bets and like leaning on Norman Vincent Peel and Dale Carnegie, like power of the mind, power of positive thinking, nonsense. Um because that's that's what it is, which is separate from what you're talking about, Vince. Uh but but it's all right there. So it's not as though that I think Moore is wrong period or is overshooting is is overshooting, um, on sort of the long form repercussions. But I think he's just, he's so far ahead of his time, right? It's going to be another 25 years before that really, really hits us. Uh, but it did in, in, in really frightening ways, I think. So, so there, there, there's something happening there. He, he seems to get it, but, There's enough of it in there that just makes my skin kind of itchy at at certain points. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but I don't want to give away too much.
2: Right. So what's the page count on this monster? Uh, 304. Yikes! Yeah. That's a lot of damn work.
0: Yeah. Yep. I wrote most of it over a single summer.
2: Uh, One crazy summer.
0: it It was a crazy summer that I spent mostly in the basement, riding... 700,000
2: words there. thanks so. So. Well, it's, it's an achievement. And just to go back to the man, I didn't realize it when I was coming up in Marvel. But there were two guys that stood out from the entire pack. And one was Jack Kirby and the other was Steve Ditko. Uh, I couldn't formulate the words to describe how these guys made me feel, but there was something on an, on a, uh, an unverbalized level that said, these guys are different. Th- th- yeah. This one guy is, is all about, well, again, I'm making up stuff now in hindsight, but it was the energy, the power aspect of Kirby's stuff. And that thing that makes Ditko Ditko, which I have never been able to define either then or since, um, you can get into the aesthetics of the line and the, you know, the, the, just the way Ditko approached comics, but he has a very different language than anybody at Marvel yeah. or DC at the time. And it's, it, yeah. it's hard to, and, and God bless you if you've managed to, to get that, um, component nailed out in words, because I think it's very difficult t- to, to hammer that down because it, it, Kirby's easy. You see the bombast and the hands reaching out to you and the, the Kirby dots and the explosions. Well, Ditko had a component somewhat like that in the, the, uh, the psychedelic language of strange, but that didn't apply to all of his work, right? What was it about Ditko that made his work stand out from Bishima? What? Like, how do you stand out from Bashima? That guy should be, if, if Jack wasn't there, that guy should be at the pinnacle. Right. Or Gene Colan, who was very different. None of them had that that electricity that Ditko has.
0: Well, I mean, between just Kirby and Ditko, the difference is Kirby is about outer space. Right. I mean, you said it yourself. I mean, the hands reaching out. But I mean, even traveling to like the outermost reaches of the cosmos, that's where the Fantastic Four get their power. That's where the source wall is. That's where everything is, is outside. Right. Right. There's a big there's a big, wide, safe world are interesting and complicated and, and sometimes dangerous world out there, right? Kirby's about outer space where Dick goes about interest space and not inner space, but interest space, right? Where it's about internality and the self and trying to find your place. Um, in whatever this is, right. It's always about moving inward. Whereas Kirby is to me, Kirby is always about moving outward, right? I mean, that's the key difference sort of narratively between them. That's the difference in their writing. Um, and, You know, and I think that you see that even in their sort of comparative, um, if you compare them like just genre-wise, like Kirby's superhero stories, Fantastic Four, outer space, Spider-Man, everything is about inside of himself, right? Everything is about that. Uh, Everything is always moving inward and down into like smaller and smaller spaces. Kirby's, it's always moving outward and the external threats, Ditko's is never about external threats. It's always about an internal threat.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thor's pretty much out there, but may- maybe the Hulk, the brief stint on the Hulk would be closer to what Ditko did, but I think that's but, a stretch.
0: But don't forget, though, that it was Steve Ditko that came up with the idea that the, incredible, that the reason the Incredible Hulk changed was because of Bruce Banner's psychic state. Right. That's, that's Ditko's idea, right? Before that, it's a mess. Right. And I he's, love Kirby. I you know.
2: Yeah, he's just a big grey monster. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but but it, you can't tell. Is it because he's been exposed to gamma rays? Is it because it's the nighttime? Oh, it's and Jekyll
2: and Hyde. It? Yeah, to a, a lesser right. extent. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean he, he's doing a Jekyll and Hyde thing, right? Which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But once Ditko comes on for that very short period of time, he does something really profound that sticks with the character. Right? And that's and that is he makes it about Bruce Banner's inner state. Right. It is always about the interstate of Bruce Banner and and all of the best Hulk stories that come after that. Right. Well, I shouldn't say all that's not fair, but many of the best Hulk stories, the best remembered Hulk stories are about exactly that. Right. That's a that's a Ditko move.
2: Yeah. He did fashion the template. Right.
0: Yeah. For greatness
2: with the Hulk anyway.
0: Right. And, And even the stories that seem to be about outer space. Right. Like Shade the Changing Man. That's not about outer space at all. Right. That is about that is specifically about the inside of the mind. And the difference between, and, and sort of the, the traveling from one internal state to another and trying to sort of influence and shape the world around you through your thoughts, right? By better, through better thinking, through better behavior, through self-control. That's all, I mean, that's all Ditko. That's yeah. very different from the Kirby stuff from the 70s. Totally different, right? New Gods are not about that at all. Not to me. No. I mean, they're, co- they're complicated. They're interesting. They're doing really wonderful things, but they're not about that. No.
3: So, uh, Zach, I, I have a question because you know I've known you for a long time, and we, you were speaking about uh, you know the, the the power of the belief in transforming oneself, um, you know, wholly. When you're speaking about just go Spider-Man run, and I would posit that from my vantage, you have, in some ways, to the outside world, undergone a similar transformation from the person you were when I met you to the person you are tonight on the show. Uh, like, is that a, is that are you conscious of that or have you channeled that like your own personal journey into becoming the person you aspired to be, um, into all this?
0: Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a fair question to ask of anybody that writes anything, right? Um, are you, are you the work? Um, I mean, in some ways, I guess, yeah, but, um, and I can totally see why it appears that way from the outside, and I, I wouldn't argue against that. Um, but for from my perspective, it's been more about, and I guess this really isn't this really isn't different. It's I'm not saying no, um, just twisting it a little bit. It's that for me, it's been about doing the things that I knew I always should have been doing, that I knew I should have been doing since I was 14 fucking years old,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and 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 finally uh, setting aside a lot of the the barriers that I set up for myself and that were set up for me, um, without making it too complicated, I guess. So in some ways, yeah, it's, it's really similar to that. Um, it's, it's, it's very similar to that, to the sort of journeys that, you know, Ditko's characters go on. I think that's part of the reason why even as a kid, when I was reading Spider-Man and Dr. Strange, like why those characters spoke to me in the way that they did, I wouldn't, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't deny that for a second. Um, I think where the difference is, is that I, uh, like Ditko, I read a lot of Ayn Rand when I was in my early twenties and late teens, uh, read a lot of it, all of it, in fact. So I fell on that sword for a lot of you. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, my, and after having read all of it, uh, I came away with a very different perspective than I think he had, um, even though there are parts of it that really appealed to me, if I'm being very honest, that really appealed to me as, as a 19-year-old kid who was angry at the world. Um, so so there, are, yeah, so there are... Yeah, I was going to ask are, there, you, I mean, where you stand... There are a lot of parallels.
3: Okay, okay. okay. yeah, I was going to ask where you stand on the ideas of objectivism. I don't.
0: Uh, um, yeah, I'm not i am not not into it um, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, first of all, and I think these are... If I'm being... Uh, from being honest, I mean, part of the things that I that I, I find unappealing about it, I think I think are things that Ditko also probably finds unappealing about it. Uh, first of all, I I just whole cloth just reject um, the uh, Ayn Rand Institute because they treat it as a uh, uh, as a closed system, um, as a closed network of ideas that you must maintain fealty to the uh, the ideas of Ayn Rand as she said them. Mm -hmm. and you can only take the approved version of those ideas i think that's that's cult-like that's that's spooky um to (laughs) me and uh but within the philosophy itself there are a lot of problems um, not the least of which are the ways in which it defines many terms they are not accurate um it also does not do a great job of dealing with Philosophies of the past that came before it, even and in some ways, even like outright denies um, the philosophers that it seems to be very dependent on, and even if it's mutating the ideas of those philosophers. Uh, I'm not crazy about the way that they represent Aristotle, I'm not crazy about the way that they respond to other um, German philosophers uh, of the 19th century. I think that they either just cast them aside without really dealing with them or misrepresent them in ways that I think are. Um, not intellectually productive. It's okay to not agree with somebody. It's another thing to sort of completely mangle their ideas to sort of um, get out of discussing them. I also don't think that, if I'm being really frank, I don't think Ayn Rand read um, a lot of the people that she dismissed. Uh, I think she read a lot of people, but there's a lot of people that that, uh, it seems pretty obvious she didn't think about or was not aware of um, and then just dismissed those ideas. Uh, Like, Max Stirner is is a big one, Um, a a really big one. That if you read Stirner, you don't have to like him. I'm not super crazy about everything he said, but man, like, he's writing 100 Years Before Rain, and it more or less undoes like a lot of what Mm -hmm. you thought. So so I'm not crazy about it. I'm, I'm not crazy about it at all. And I think that it's been really. Detrimental. Even though there was a time when I thought that, like, yeah, there's something to this. The more I've read and thought about it, the more I think, like, man, this was a really bad, bad experiment that yeah. got really far off the rails.
2: You know what, so Crusade? Uh, oh, you're pretty much what's wrong with America right now. That you you investigate, you do your research, you look at all the data before making uh, <clears throat> a uh, a judgment. You got to stop this <clears throat> shit because <clears throat> the the way to do it is, you know, knee jerk. Just yeah. come right off. You don't need, you don't need information to make a, uh, a conclusion or data. Why? Why do you need that? Just decide and move on, right?
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I was, I was kind of... I was being to, facetious. You know a lot that, of conversations, right? Zach, but I, I don't know that we've ever talked about Rand directly, uh, least <throat> I don't recall. Must have been, I might have been pretty hammered if we did. Um, but I I, <laughs> I, I like I think, like you said, like a lot of people uh, at a certain age that either are or consider themselves budding intellects you know, mm-hmm. I I had that period of like, oh, I'm going to devour her stuff because everyone says I should, and um, and I I don't know that I I realize I may be offending some people with what I'm about to say, but I've somewhat held an opinion since my early or I should say late teens years when I read her work that she's largely a fraud in my opinion, um, or or, or those who have built the cult around her after the fact are largely fraudulent. Um, and I and I you know I have to say that um. I don't I don't relish the idea of, uh, of of crediting her with with Trump, although I, I definitely think you're like you're onto something like I, I definitely think in terms of like at the heart of her belief system of, you know, individual self-interest and and rejecting altruism and and uh, and obviously like like, you know, like that's really we should only do things in our own self-interest. And, and obviously it's super, super hard to uh, to to uh, synthesize or, or simplify the her her views and objectivism i mean that's one of my problems with it is that it's very very hard to define right like i i always tell my my team in uh, at our firm when it comes to investment like if you can't synthesize the thesis for why this is a good investment to me, you know the old elevator pitch idea in a sentence or two then it's it's probably not a well thought out idea um and I kind of think that about her philosophy it's so difficult to pigeonhole uh yet her 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 people and her institute you know as you said make these stringent demands on what it actually is, and it's almost like uh, almost like a snake eating its tail of of, of contradictory stuff. I think so in, in some ways. So so like I, I I that's the thing I was I I didn't think you were sort of with it, but I guess I, you know I've told you this before. I don't know. One of the reasons I'm really looking forward to reading your book is I have not followed Ditko into the post superhero world like you did or Vince did. Um, you know, really, the only things I know about Ditko and his driving forces after that are from talking to you over the years. Um, yeah. So I, I am really curious to, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is if he was at least, at least, you know, involved in that movement or or, or moved by that movement, what is it? Do you think, like, where does the break come where you know you feel so drawn to him? Uh, and his work yet you know at the heart of it it seems like like you're not a fan of of, of objectivism which he certainly was a, a, a fan of it or at least a user of it so yeah are you suggesting he wasn't a fan of it but he used it in his writing is that what you're suggesting um uh
0: yeah so okay let me come let me come back to one thing you said earlier where you, where you said rand is a fraud i think that that's right right i think she's a total fraud um I, I did, I was being polite in the way that sure. I was describing it. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that that's right. Uh, and, but I, the, where it gets difficult for me is I'm not sure that she was a conscious fraud. Uh, I'm not sure that she right. was aware. She believed her she own was, life. Yeah. 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 Um, and a lot of that sort
3: just of just like Trump, I think Trump I is was just going to say,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, she I mean, but this is this is part of the problem with this sort of strand of liberal thought right that comes from Rand and is reinforced by Dale Carnegie and the power of positive thinking and all that kind of stuff, like if you just will yourself into being cool, then you 're going to be cool, right if you are if you say to people out loud that you are powerful, you are powerful um, that 's really where a lot of this comes from, um, but where but the, but, your, but the final part of the question there was, is it, and tell me if I'm misunderstanding this, but like, where's like the line for me in, in, in Ditko? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the line for me is the, the same line that I think a lot of us sort of toe, is that at a certain level, whether people like to admit this anymore or not, you have to be willing to separate the artist from the art. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to be able to separate intent from effect and you have to be willing to separate yourself from, you know, uh, your own ego in certain mm-hmm. ways, right? Um, and, I, and I think that a lot of people really struggle with that. But we do it all the time. Um, so a, a good literary example of this is Ezra Pound. Dude's a straight-up Nazi, right? But also wrote some of the most important poetry of the 20th century in the English language, right? Full stop. The, the, that's, that, that's not up for debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Martin Heidegger was a Nazi also came up with some of the most significant ideas in Western thought. Uh Oh, Um, we have to, we have to sort of contend with these things all the time. Right. I mean, I guess, I guess without trying to sound too smarmy or highfalutin about it, I mean, this is the sort of thing that Fitzgerald talked about, right? Like the sign of a superior intellect, the sign of someone who has their, their act together is, is someone who can hold two competing ideas in their head at once right. And be able to sort of move on with that and accept that there are two separate things happening here. Um, for me, that's how I am with Ditko. I don't buy into his politics at all. I I think he's not an objectivist. Um, but the kind of politics that he that he puts out in his comics, there are dangerous consequences to seeing those things enacted, And I think that we're seeing that unfold before us right now. Um, But that does not mean that he did not create something really powerful for a lot of people for reasons that are separate from those politics. Um, Like for me, every time I cannot, I teach Amazing Spider-Man 33 all the time. And I cannot teach that damn book. I cannot teach the first five pages of that book without crying. I just can't. I've tried. I'm just a big baby. Um, You are a baby. But, but, well, yeah. I'm just a giant, just doughy baby um but i don't like the politics but there's something but there's something other there's something else that's in that story that moves me in a really profound way right for the reasons that i think you were getting at before right like the parallels that i see i, I think we all do those things right we all have we we all sort of pin our aspirations on some sort of myth um whether it's about whether it that myth occurs to us in television or in music or in movies or in comics. I think we all sort of find ways to sort of, um, access ourselves through, through those, through that media. Um, for me, it's, it's always been Spider-Man and Dr. Strange. Right. And it's never not going to be that. Um, like when I talk about Spider-Man to other people, we're usually talking about two different Spider-Men, right? (laughs) They're talking, they're talking about, they're talking about like, you know, uh, Todd McFarlane or uh, Ross Andrew or, or, or uh, J.R.J.R. And I'm not talking about that character, right? I'm talking about someone totally different. Or if I'm talking to someone about Dr. Strange and how much those comics mean to me and how fascinated I am with those stories, I'm not talking about Gene Colan. I love Gene Colan. He's great. I'm not talking about Gene Colan. You know, that's just, they resonate with me. Um, because they are so different and profound in, the, in their own unique ways. In the same way that a lot of people talk about Kirby, right? A lot of people don't... When they're talking about the Fantastic Four, they're not talking about John Byrne, right? They're not. They're talking about Jack Kirby. Um, that's how uh, it is with...
2: Right, with although Byrne's Fantastic Four was as close it's to finished. Kirby as you can get.
0: Yeah. Right, and that's yeah. fine, right? And, I, and I'm not disputing that, because for me, there's more continuity there for those characters, right? But for someone else... Like, it's not. Uh, or the same way with, with X-Men, right? For a lot of people who grew up, who are Gen Xers, who grew up on the X-Men, that X-Men is not the X-Men that came before. And in certain ways, it is not the X-Men that came after, no matter how hard they tried to recapture it. Right. Right. Yep. Um, there are some people that the X-Men stop with Claremont and, and and Byrne and Terry Austin and all those guys, right? And that's okay. That's totally okay. Um, and that's, but that's kind of how it is for me with with the with the Ditko stuff. Um, so yeah, I don't know if
2: that
3: clearly answers your question, Jason, but I hope it does.
2: You know, yeah, one, absolutely.
3: I just yeah, I just wanted. To, I, I don't know that we ever talked about it directly, so I was just curious where you Yeah, I, th-
2: I think one of the uh, things crucial to either being uh, a creative individual or talking about the works of creative individuals is the ability to separate the visual from the person that created it like one of the things i do in classes i'll show them the paintings of john wayne gacy yeah Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and i want you to tell me how this makes you feel in a way that's removed from the identity of the person that created it can you do that can you look at this image and say most of them don't know because they're young. So they, they have no idea who painted these things, which actually plays into what I'm trying to do. But after they're done with their commentary, I say, okay, these were all created by a serial killer, a despicable man who, who buried bodies under the crawl space in his house. And he did horrific things to, to young men. So why should that factor into what you're looking at? It, it shouldn't because the image has nothing to do with the person that created it.
0: Well, that that part I disagree with, right? Like I, I, I think that it, it can't there's no reason that it cannot factor in to the way that you evaluate it. It
2: right? could, but it doesn't have to.
0: it doesn't have to, right? But but I but I don't think it's I don't think it's unreasonable to factor those things in when you're interpreting a piece of art, right? Like I don't think it's unreasonable to factor in the fact that um Ditko grew up in in a, 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 an immigrant community in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, right? That was made up almost entirely of immigrants who were social outcasts and treated uh, and had to deal with the ramifications of white supremacy, right? Because they were considered, because when those people arrived in Johnstown, they were more or less considered not white.
2: Right. I right? think you're talking so, more narrative content. I,
0: but but even in the visual content for someone like, like Steve, right? Like, What's going on with the internality? What's going on with being with with being trapped inside of enclosed spaces all the time and claustrophobia? Well, he also had tuberculosis twice and was quarantined. You know, I mean, so so I, I so I guess I'm just saying, like, I think it's I think it's reasonable to factor those things in. I just don't think that they necessarily must be the defining factor on a value judgment of the no, itself. No, they
2: they they shouldn't tip the scale. In either way, because the image, nobody's there whispering in your ear as you're looking at this image saying, this man was a serial killer, and gives you the data on everything that this person had done leading up to the creation of this image. Nobody's there to do that. You can research it, sure, but I like the white room technique where you look at this image bereft of any kind of information at all about the person that created it. Judge that image as it is. And then if you find something within that image that's compelling enough to seek out the identity of the person that painted it, by all means, go look for it. Maybe it will un- unravel more within the image for which, you know, you can, you can chew on, but it's not necessary. It's not a crucial component in judging or, or, or formulating an opinion or looking at the components of this, you know, four by four image.
0: Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I I think what we're talking about are two separate things, right? Like, well, yeah, I'm not concerned
2: with narrative. I'm just, well, I am, but not in this instant. I'm more concerned with the the visuals, what what the mark making and the way that he dragged the, you know, haphazardly the paintbrush across the canvas and the childlike innocence which with he uh, with which he approaches the subject matter that does obviously factor into the man that was i'm going back to john wayne gacy but whatever uh but removed from all that all you have is the image and that image should stand or fall on its own yeah yeah
0: sure yeah yeah but yeah that's yeah that's just the difference between an aesthetic judgment versus an analytical narrative sure i right. think i think yeah. you
2: you need if you're going to analyze and and get into the whys and the wherefores you do need a little bit of backstory but yeah to, to purely judge based on surface level you don't and and yeah. but that's what most people do uh how many people walking through uh, an art gallery know the the formulative years of all of these artists and, and their trials and their tribulations. That doesn't mean shit. They're just looking at things hung on the wall.
0: Yeah, no I yeah I completely agree with that. Yeah. Right? I don't think the, I don't think the average person knows mu- knows much when they go in there. I certainly don't. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You're a pisser, Mr Crusay. I know. In a good way though.
0: That's why they pay me the medium bucks. That's
2: yeah. Um, so, I mean, you can, you can reiterate towards the end, but let's just bump it up one more time. Like, where do they get this book?
0: So, uh, the book, Mysterious Travelers, it's, uh, available for pre-order through the University Press of Mississippi website. Um, you just go there and there's a search function. It's there. Uh, or you can get it through, um, you, you'll be able to pre-order it through comic shops, but not until like December of this year. Uh, and. It's also available through uh, independent bookstore collectives and, and all that kind of groovy stuff, and Amazon, of
2: course. Yeah, screw that. I'm not waiting until December to order it and then get it in February. That's not happening. I'm
1: You're still getting it in February even if you order it today.
0: Yeah, you're not going to get it till February no matter what.
2: Well, <laughs> but I'll feel better <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> if I order yeah. it right now.
0: Well, I, I order from I Amazon. I think that my editors at University Press of Mississippi would feel better, too. So. Sure,
2: sure. We want to bump up our brother. Where
1: yeah, are from today?
2: All right. So, um, let's just move on a little bit uh, to talk about stuff we've currently been reading. And okay. maybe we should pick the brain of Mr. Johnny Come Lately, because, yeah. you know, yeah. tardy. Uh, Jason, what have you been reading? Man,
3: I haven't been reading much, my friend. Oh no. no I did read I no, I read some things. Um <laughs> I um I another one of those like go back to the way back and uh fix a hole in my regine pile, um says as they say, I read <laughs> the first volume of uh Justice League International. Wow. Yes. Holy like that, I thought you liked that, Dat. I love you. Yep, yep. Yeah, I've I've had these books for a long time, and it's not like I was not reading them for any particular reason, other than just hasn't seemed to have, it just hasn't come up on the show, and we haven't really, you know, it just hasn't, there hasn't been like a book of the month that hasn't just, where I've had to sit down and read it, and I just thought, damn, you know, this this run is so venerable, so beloved and it's squarely at a time when I was most nostalgic for comics. Um, that I figured what the hell Let's let's jump in. And so I did. So I read one through eight, which was the first volume, the hardcover. Um, and I, I have to say, given the experience that we discussed, uh, last week on DP seven and how you can't go home again. In some cases, I was curious if this book, which was written in 1987, um, would, uh, you know, would, would suffer from that as well. Um, but it very much did not. It, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Excellent. Um, yeah, I really did. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I wasn't necessarily surprised by that because this is one of those books that just is so beloved by uh, lots of people, uh, drag racing going on somewhere. Um, yes. And, um, you know, so I, I figured it would be enjoyable at, at, at a minimum, at, at minimum, just, just from a historical perspective. But, um, But I also very much, you all know, I'm not a huge fan of the back matter in many cases. But I did genuinely enjoy Keith Giffen's intro uh, talking about the journey uh, that led to this book. Because I found the context helpful in that, um, again, from my perspective reading this in 2020 and having in the entirety of the, let's say, 15 years we've all known each other, this book always spoken with such... Uh, reverence uh, all the creators, Giffen, DeMadison, you know, and uh, uh, Maguire, I I figured, okay, well, these are are legends. But it was great to have that reminder in the intro from Giffen that they're legends today because of this book. And in fact, uh, when they were all brought together to do this book, it was widely considered a disastrous decision um, by people within D.C. and people outside of, of D.C. Um, from the way he tells it, you know, he was a dude who um, was considered a C-level writer and was toxic to get a big book. Um, they would just give him inventory books to do. Uh, Dematis, who was brought in to, to put words to his plots, um was a highfalutin guy that, that he said they, you know, philosophically the types of stories they like to tell were like oil and vinegar. And he didn't see how they would work together. And then Maguire was a relative unknown at the time. Uh, Just a young, a young artist on the come up that, uh, that their editor uh, pushed hard to, uh, to be the guy. And very much um, Jeanette Kahn was, and others were very much against it because they thought they needed a name artist to carry the book uh, coming out of the Detroit era and given that the, create, the writers were not exactly household names or at least thought of to be top notch writers, but he pushed for it and it ended up being the team that gave us this legendary run on JLI. Um, so yeah. And, and also, and again, a lot of the stuff you all may know already, cause you probably read it as it was coming out. Um, I, I didn't really, I didn't realize that, that he said they didn't intend to make this a comedy book. Like that wasn't its intent. It just so happens that he's he's a guy that uses humor in his writing and it just kind of evolved that way. But uh, but it wasn't like they sat down and said, OK, this is a this is a this is a funny book like a Harley Quinn or a Deadpool. This is this. That was not really the there was no thought of that when they were putting this together, that it would be a a comedic book. It just took that turn. And um and, and the first issue sold well, um, but it was something that never happens in comics today. The uh, subsequent issues just kept selling more and more until it became a top book again, and then the rest is history. So I, I love that context because I, I didn't know any of that, honestly. Um, you know, Andy Helfer, I guess, he really credits Andy Helfer, who's the editor, with, uh, mm. with, with making all this happen. Um, yeah, and, and then the other thing, too, is that because it was coming out of um, Crisis and then Legends, he also had no say in the characters, um, because I, when you think of JLI, I think you think of that uh, iconic cover to the first issue, which was just called Justice League at the time, they didn't change the name until I think issue eight. Um, you know, of all the, of all the characters that would be in it, and um, he said those were really just the, the editors gave him those characters based on what was happening in the events and said you can use these characters. So um, essentially, was 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 Batman was was the the you know bat, having Batman in a book certainly helps it in any era. Um, and then, other than Batman, the only lock character that was a a, a very popular A-level character at the time was Martian Manhunter. Uh, everybody else was was B, C, or D listers, depending on your perspective. So, yeah, I mean, um, but but reading all that going into this, it, it definitely helped add some context. And uh, it's it's plot-wise, exactly what I thought it would be. It's 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 an '80s superhero team book, right? They you meet the team you you get a sense for their dynamics uh then they go off to fight bad guys and uh and and win right victory after victory uh and uh and you just you see certain characters have chemistry certain characters or are, are do not and uh and, and I will say um I've always been a fan of team books as you all know and I give uh Giffen and Dematis a, a great deal of credit for finding a way to meld a bunch of disparate characters that in many cases didn't have a lot of interaction with one another prior to this book, um, really do seem to have chemistry on the page. They, they, they do seem to come to appreciate each other, uh, in spite of their differences. Um, and and not just because they're complementary from a power set or something very much that this book was about the the people in the suits versus the uh, powers of the suits. And, uh, yeah so i'm I'm totally on board man i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna definitely uh keep keep reading I've got pretty much the whole run, so I'm just gonna keep reading interspersed and uh give it a go It was a very quick read I mean I read the, the eight issues in basically one sitting um and uh yeah i can I can definitely I'm very happy to say unlike some other books from that era this is one that I totally get why it's it's uh it holds the place that it does in people's hearts oh, that's great
2: yeah not to get all blubbery. Like Mister Cruise, but I wish we could go back to the time of Justice League International, and and relive that time because that was a really good time in comics. Oh yeah, uh, I, we didn't again to to be the old 84 guy. Eighty four to eighty eight. Yeah, was... we did not know how good it was. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Just the, yeah, I mean, the I, innocence I, I, behind that book.
3: I, oh, I assume you read this off the off the shelves.
2: Sure. Yes. Yeah
3: were you reading it off the shelves yes indeed zach uh, i assume you weren't you're were probably a little too young
0: yeah no i didn't read it until years later
3: yeah did you enjoy it
0: yeah i liked it okay it's probably been i think when i the last time i read that was like whenever they released that hardcover so that's almost yeah. like 10 years ago now 12 years yeah
3: ago. the hardcover i have i think is from 2007 maybe yeah that's that's yeah. when i would have read it when i was okay. still working at, at the store yeah yeah okay Yeah. But no, two thumbs up, man. I totally, totally get it. It's, it's dope, dope stuff. It makes me wonder why we can't have, I guess we, I guess they try, you know, just sometimes things click, sometimes they don't. What would you say the Marvel analog to this? To me, because I was reading it thinking, you know what, this, this feels to me like the, uh, Abnett Lanning cosmic stuff. A lot of characters that we knew, a lot of characters that we didn't or reinvented all come together, have great chemistry because of the writer's and end up sticking around in different forms. It's kind of how I felt.
0: Yeah, like uh, yeah, like like the Guardians book.
2: Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. yeah. No, well, I, I think that's totally fair. Enough. I would have cheated yeah. and said uh, the Defenders, but that's pretty much all right. Sure. You know, the same creative yeah. team, but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah And I think they, it they... helps
3: that Mister Miracle is, is front and center because obviously he has come back to the forefront, right? I mean, when this hardcover came out, Mister Miracle wasn't exactly a a big draw for anybody in d c none of like the characters were except no, i for mean like when like these reprints were coming out like in the like ten years ago mr miracle wasn 't exactly Not a yet. character that would have oh you know but but now mr miracle's such a hot character thanks to what what uh what Tom and mitch did right and what's going on with the movie that uh it it was cool to to, to see to see him front and center and i was real probably the thing I was most surprised by um was oberon's very in very large presence in it. I mean, I knew he was in the book because he's on that cover, but I i didn't, I didn't really ever give much thought to him being essentially a, a member in a, for all intents and purposes.
2: I can only but, imagine know, somebody reading the Tom King, Mr. Miracle, and picking up this. Wow. What what a shock that would be. Yeah.
1: Which is probably why the 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 Oberon scenes in Tom and Mitch's book Hit some people harder than others for those of us who have read Justice League International. Mm, that's right. pretty much when, um, that's why we loved the character. It, it's, it, I mean, I was a fan of Martian Manhunter before Giffen and De Mateus had a crack at the character. Um, but I think that, uh, the whole Oreo love and, and the, um, him basically being the straight man to everybody, it 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 elevated him in, in my eyes. And um you know I, I was always I was always a fan of the Ted Cord little Beetle back when Len Wayne and Paris Collins were were doing the book. And so it was great to see him. I enjoyed Booster because of what Jurgens and, and DiCarlo did on the character and and with his creation. So I I I was a fan of these of these characters and since you took the big you took the trinity you took the big names off the board mm-hmm. and this is who they had to work with they absolutely uh, made it work i i i am i i love this team i was with them even through um through the end of this run and and into the bloodwind era when when jurgens took over writing and drawing and then that that tied into death of superman so i was i was with i pretty much had close to a complete run of this series because this series ended and then a little while later we got the the morrison jla book and
2: yeah. um the book died for me with the death of superman tie-in that's well, speak that, on that because i don't i haven't obviously don't
3: know well it
2: mean. became something other than i mean they they've strayed from the mission statement i oh, mean great yeah, well, breakdowns by that,
3: by that time the creative team
1: had left
2: well, yeah, but breakdowns break, was, breakdowns was the, the first nail that was far different than anything that had came before, uh, come before. But then when when the the book just kind of sagged into the death of Superman with the wrap with the the, 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 the black cover wrap, and you know slamming oh. Beatles head in the the car door, yeah. I was like, no, this is not the same book. There's just right. yeah yeah sure the creative team was different, but the the tone was drastically different.
0: Right, it's, but, it's but like the, to the tone of DC,
2: the, but the tone of DC at large was drastically different. Right, you know, it all became Dark Knight Fallout, which I thought the book was immune to, but uh, again, it just it, it oh, became yeah. something something darker. Yeah, Zach, what were you going to say when I stepped on your oh cute little no, toes? No,
0: no, no, that's okay. They are cute. Um, uh, this the reprint for that Jason was two thousand seven. You said. I thought so. okay, uh, no, it's okay. I was just one I was thinking about like why then it seems like they had a lot of stuff though, with those characters in the years leading up to that, right? because Guy Gardner had a had a part in rebirth, then there was the Shiloh Norman Mr. Miracle, then there was final then there was fifty two in Final Crisis that centered that had lots of stuff that centered on beetle and and Booster gold, right. Mm-hmm. Or am I, am I am I misremembering the time? on that? No,
2: I think there's a huge fallout from this book. I, I don't think Blue and Gold would be anywhere near the fan oh, favorite series. Yeah, no, I mean, no,
0: no. It, it, that, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when this book was reprinted, right? It's in a moment oh, when a lot of those characters are appearing
1: yeah. so, yeah, yeah, oh, in, in, right, in different yeah.
0: ways, right? So, yeah, they were
1: absolutely cashing on on
0: yeah, yeah, internet. yeah. And, and there's the the Morrison Batman too.
2: Gotcha. I are stupid. No. Well I'm glad you no. read it, Jason. You know you gotta do you gotta finish that and then segue over to Justice of Europe, which is it's right, in, tears, Yeah, it's in the same way, wheelhouse, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean the only it's it's
2: I mean I I enjoyed the <laughs> the art at the time.
1: Uh it, the Bart definitely has a style, but the um uh unfortunately and, and at the, you know listen, at the time you weren't aware of it, j- just like we are now but um with certain things but uh, i don't i i i am in no i haven't attempted to reread any of the justice league europe stuff um because those stories are written by gerard jones mm-hmm. and and that shouldn't you know obviously if, if if you're reading a comic book from from 1985 86 87 that shouldn't and and you have today's news in the back of your head. Obviously you have to I mean it's 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 like watching a movie from, from the sixties or seventies. I mean I, I was listening to um one of the serious comedy stations and and he did a Paul Rodriguez skit, one of his old routines, and A, it was like holy shit, it's Paul Rodriguez, but he 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 actually he's and he wasn't being mean but but he actually uses the term faggot, and I cringed. And and so mm. it's it's when uh, yes, of course, Gerard Jones isn't going to write a Justice League story where anything from his personal life, alleged, um, comes into it. But still, you're going to be reading. It, it's hard for me to sit down and read a story about the same thing about. Um, I'm not going to say it for Vince, but it, it's it's. Don't you certain... don't you
2: dare say trouble with girls, because no, all right, because it's no, still. It's no, just I... I, No, oh it's, yeah, no, it's, it's that
1: same thing because you know he he was arrested for th- having child pornography on his computer. So it's like it's like this yeah. dude who wrote some stories, Green Lantern stories, fucking like El Diablo. I mean, he wrote stories that 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 I adored back in the day, and then to find out who he might really be it's it's troublesome but um but mm-hmm. yeah i like Vince said. you know there's trouble with girls i mean it's it's i love mark twain and because of the times obviously he uses language in his books that you know isn't exactly uh pc these days or even back then but it's it's still um it's it, it, it's a time where you can i'm i'm fine with not being a fan of the artist um I can say it, it, it. I cannot. There are times where I absolutely will not uh, separate the art from the artist. But when I think about certain stories and and how okay. I, he still wrote characters that are owned by DC, it's not like I'm I'm not really supporting Jones's creator-owned work if if I'm going to read Justice League International. It, it's I, I think because of when I was reading it and how old I was, and um, I can kind of. Um, Put myself back in that time and enjoy those stories for what they are without thinking about what this person may have done uh, or is going to do over the next 30 years.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm resisting getting on the soapbox about the, the current level of scrutiny that the public applies to creative individuals that goes back seemingly to their days on the, you know, the schoolyard. Uh-huh. I think it's kind of ridiculous.
1: Oh, absolutely, no, you I know. Agree. But
2: I mean, we, 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 we. You're not the same person. You know, we right. cut and I, and I, 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 and. But I get it, uh, uh, Gerard. May he you know he was arrested for child pornography. Okay, but to me, trouble with girls is still great. I, I'm not oh, gonna. I, 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 it's a terrible thing that he did. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change the fact that Trouble with Girls is a really good freaking not, comic you didn't, book.
1: You didn't buy Trouble with Girls after that news broke. You you, you read that when it was regardless, coming out. So regardless. I mean, if I read the for, book, I mean, the work is the work. But yeah. but it's not like you're not you're not going out of your way to support him now. You read this when it was coming out. No, it, I mean, there's a laundry was,
2: list of people who I won't support now. Right. But right. only because they, you know, I think they they parlay in in despicable. Uh, sure hate which i don't i don't i don't get i don't like that but uh, yeah whatever whatever the case i i I said i was going to resist and i guess i did but whatever um i have something Mm -hmm. something different something different something different um it's actually it's a i guess we're going in the way back machine to a certain extent tonight because this thing was published in 2002 Ancient times, not really, but it's not current by any means. Um, it is uh, written by Carlos Trio, oh, and illustrated by Domingo Mandrafina. Oh,
3: speak on it, yes, Trio's my boy.
2: It it is a sequel to um, Trio and Mandrafina's "The Big Hoax." Okay, but uh, one needs nothing to enter this story. You don't need to, to know anything that happened in the Big Hoax to, to firmly lodge yourself within this narrative. Yeah, it 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 would it would broaden the narrative, having read the Big Hoax, but it, it's not necessary. Uh and this book begins immediately after the last page of the Big Hoax. This is called the Iguana. And it's published remember when Dark Horse teamed up with uh strip art features and they had that imprint called venture huh. they were pulling all was, there was a lot of carlos trio books one with uh, a couple with riso that they published yeah. like and uh there, there was a, a fairly broad line of books that dark horse and uh, strip art had published but i don't think they caught on very well uh and it's at borderline i know i own that Uh, yeah obviously
3: vampire boy is the big one yeah the the video
2: video noir by trio and riso uh Mm. there's a bunch of books and and i have them. condos yes uh, another one yeah
3: i own that i've never read it though i have
2: them all i love them all but um i figured what better time to jump into this book that among these venture books is one of the few that i haven't read so i you know whatever i picked it up and um it, it tells the tale of one of the prominent characters in the big hoax, and his name is the Iguana. And this is a guy that gives Rondo Hatton a run for his money. If you know who Rondo Hatton was, he was uh, an actor in the forties and fifties who played the creeper. Archomegaly. And, yes. And yeah. he, he had a genetic disorder that disfigured his facial features. He was a very big man. Um, but the Iguana, has scaly reptile-like skin and he has a very pooched out rictus to quote frank zappa uh big big lips um always wears sunglasses and the guy is a uh an enforcer for a military dictatorship whenever The powers that be find someone that's not toeing the company line. They bring him to the iguana and the iguana does his magic on them and either extracts some kind of a confession or flat out kills them. So what the iguana is about, what's it about? What's the deal with this book? What is it really about? It's about the power of infamy and superstition. Like this, the iguanas mythology is elevated to the level of almost a supernatural entity they all fear him they all hate him mention of this man's name causes people to cower in fear right so um
3: sounds like baba yaga like john Wick.
2: yeah yeah very no that's very appropriate but this this is a hulking man um you know you better you not say that about uh uh, El General, because you're gonna meet the iguana. And like, so it, it, it just, it, it's that looming presence, whether seen or unseen, that, that hangs over all of the people in this. And I think it, it's a military dictatorship. So it could be Cuba. Um, they, they they're not so specific with the, the locale, but I mean, you could formulate a guess, right? Um, so at, at the beginning of the iguana, the iguana's dead. He's been shot four times, dead, body laying on the, you know, the floor. Uh, and, and one man, uh, a man named Almendrino, walks into the room. and He's like, oh, Madre Dios, the, the iguana is dead. And he goes and he kicks the body to make sure that the iguana is dead. And because he did this, this man gains a little bit of uh, celebrity in the village like you're the one who kicked the iguana and uh he over a period of time he starts to regret that decision very much um at first he's he's using it as a you know a a celebrity to get in with people he he normally wouldn't have gotten in with but then he thinks about he's like okay what if this guy goes to hell he's so bad he's so evil the devil's gonna single him out and 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 promote him and I, so holy mother of god what if i go to hell he's going to destroy me for eternity like and so every decision he makes from that point on is all grounded in the fact that he kicked the iguana when the iguana was dead right he go, he walks around with a basket over his head to hide himself from the iguana but um big 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 story in a little tiny tiny chewable um a chinese american named susan ling who's this hard-drinking, ice-cold star reporter for the world morning news, arrives in this little country with her photographer, Bill. And she's a whore, basically. She wants nothing more than to uh, integrate with these people, get their story, publish it, get the Pulitzer, get fame, blah, blah, blah. And that's what happens. But um, while she's there, she starts interviewing all the people. That the iguana has, the shadow of the iguana has passed over, let's just say. So she's talking to this woman. And this woman was in the midst of childbirth when the iguana peered between her legs as the child's head was crowning. And the boy lived the rest of his life with his eyes clamped shut, lest he see again the thing that he witnessed during childbirth. So they're pumping the iguana up to be this mythological You know, bad guy. This kid scrunched his eyes together for his entire life because he saw the countenance of the iguana, right? So then she talks to the colonel, Colonel Pardal, and who weeps at the passing of the iguana because the guy was—he was a a a strong arm. He was the dude that extinguished the lives of political dissidents. He was a thug, the enforcer, right? He made people disappear at the whims of the high-ranking military officials. So, um. He, he's distraught oh he, he's he's all flamboyant and shit The iguana he was a wonderful man uh so much so they they loved this guy where they had this naked slave girl chained to a wall and she would undress the iguana before he did his business and she would drape him in a white gown so as not to in his own words impregnate his clothes with the bro- with the blood he deemed evil like, he would go in there and just butcher people, come out, take the, the gown off, put his clothes on, see you later, grab a, a boob, you know, he was a pig. Um, he, the, she interviews a madam at a local brothel, and the, the iguana would demand multiple virgins on a regular basis that he could deflower, and she had to struggle to find, like, seriously, where do you find a virgin? In, in modern times, she would have to struggle to find virgins to feed the iguana, right? Um, and he always wore those sunglasses. So she got a little bold one day and she says, you know, why do you wear the sunglasses? I feel like you have beautiful eyes underneath there. And the iguana is like, yeah, OK, fuck you. Here's the deal. why I wear the, the sunglasses. And he goes over to her parrot cage. She had this parrot that she called Igor Beltran. She named him with, uh, you know. name and surname um so he lifts up his glasses and he looks at the parrot and the parrot just fucking dies he goes that's why i wear the glasses pray i never take the glasses off like so as i'm reading this i'm thinking how much of this is tall tale and how much of this is real right because there's a there's a a borderline supernatural supernatural component to this book that you got to take with a little bit of grain of salt right uh miss uh susan also talks to a writer a guy named Meliton bates who's a uh he's a bon vivant he's a little bit light in the loafers i don't think that's pc to say that but in the time that this story takes place it probably was um and he's told by the general you know to magnify the magnificence of the iguana in the people's entertainment to portray him as a benefactor and a patriot and a, a superhuman and, you know, pump him up. Make sure, you know, you, you got this guy. He, he's, he's like Paul Bunyan for, you know, the Politicos. Uh, and he can't do it. He really can't do it. Uh, so he, 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 he wrote some comics and they were published and the people just didn't buy it. They were like, this is not the truth. The Guana's a scumbag. You're lying to us. The, the people peered through the lie in the entertainment to get to the kernel of truth and it wasn't there um and, and it's really cool because the sequence with with the writer kind of segues into magical realism oddly enough um bates frees the naked slave girl and he and this naked woman traips around the countryside he's drinking it starts raining blood uh the ghost of the iguana comes to visit them and he basically says you know you have no power over anybody anymore you're dead and the, the iguana just vanishes. Um, and his tie floats down to earth as he, as he floats back up to heaven or wherever the iguana goes, and they burn it. And, and that is the cathartic moment in this little fever dream, uh, so to speak, that, um, the re- last remnants of the iguana are burned. But anything, it's not even close to the truth, uh, especially with the reporter, uh, Susan Ling because so she's writing all these stories about the iguana she's taking them down and she's she's trying to sensationalize them uh they're in a brothel as i said and she tells the photographer bill who she she comes to the country with to to get like scandalous shots you know Mm -hmm. give me a lot of nipples and a lot of tna because she wants sensation right so she's talking to the the madam and bills has attracted the attention of a woman uh a lady of the evening, and um, she, he gets real cozy with her, and to the point where the the one panel, they show her back, and she's spread-legged, and he's taking pictures of her pretty kitty, <laughs> right? Um, and it drives Susan nuts. Like, she, she goes crazy. She's like, I catch you doing that again. I will have you fired from the paper. If this woman appears in your hotel room, you're done. So um, while she's talking with the writer... He he surprises her. He shows her a life mask of the iguana, and she screams like she goes off the rails. It it is one of the most horrific things she's ever seen, which translates into this ice cold bitch. It it was one of the very few times in her life that she she experienced some honest to gosh emotion, right? So he gives her the mask, and she takes it back to her her um, hotel room, and she tries to masturbate with it. And it doesn't work like she hears noises coming from Bill's room and she goes in and sure enough, he's with the prostitute and she's like, I told you. And she kicks the prostitute out. And She's like to Bill. She goes, all right, come here. I'll give you a chance. She puts the iguana mask on him and she makes him service her. Okay, and it is. She does, she like planks. She goes into this extreme orgasm where she screams at the top of her lungs and it's the only orgasm she's ever had in her life. And she ties it to the fact that the the fear and the danger and the the emotion all wrapped up in this Iguana character looking at his face made her susceptible to actually feeling something for once, right? And the, the story careens as it does there's a there's a woman who was actually in love with the iguana and um he wasn't having it to the point where he does uh, a, a dark knight joker on her and he takes the switchblade and cuts her face uh by her mouth to give her a permanent smile it's pretty it's pretty horrific but wow is this a good book um uh, the, the art is pitch perfect it is amazingly accomplished like nothing but black and white but it's in the it's in the um the riso vein but it's not as hard-edged as riso It it's more um let's say hugo pratt maybe um like the line is very emotive and and but there's a lot of strong blacks there's a lot of nudity in this book a lot of sex I mean it's 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 the the salt of the earth right it's it's lowbrow but there's a there's a highbrow component to it in which they're trying to examine what happens to a person when they're so bad so nefarious that the 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 ghost of the person is just as bad or worse as the person when they were living I thought I thought it was an amazing book it's only wow it's only 82 pages long So, you know, it's not going to kill you to read. It's, it was a nine, ten dollars cover price. I thought it was amazing. I mean, if you like noir, and I have been loving the noir, um, this, this will go a long way. Like, I put this on a level with criminal. The level of complexity with the characters. No, no, the level of, of complexity with the characters and the narrative is akin I'm not saying it's the same as. It's akin to what Brewbreaker and Phillips do with criminal. It's not just TNA or murder. I mean, you actually get to know these people and care for some of them, you know, and fear some of them. I thought it was great. Um,
3: uh, I'm looking at the art. I need this desperately. Yeah. <laughs> this fits right into my, uh, my current Victor Santos Eduardo Riso <laughs> obsession. I'm going to get this big hoax, too, though, I guess, huh?
2: Yes, Um I bought them, sorry, mm-hmm. choking on this shitty white wine, I mm-hmm. bought them, that's uh, all we had, I'm sorry, I bought them, remember when Tifa, Things from Another World, yeah, used to do those massive, Nick and Dent, Nick and Dent. yeah, there's nothing wrong with these it. books, and I think I paid maybe $3 a piece for them. Nice. The The big hoax is at least double, if not triple, the size of the iguana. Mm-hmm. And if you read them in tandem, you get the big picture. But I'm not saying that's necessary. To, to enjoy the, the the to, to, you know, drink in the joys of the iguana, all you need to read is the iguana. So if, get it, because it's really phenomenal. Respect. Yeah.
3: Nice. See, stick yeah, around long I enough, don't... and Vince gives you a good recommendation. Broken Clock. I don't, I don't Bro- have it. I
0: don't have it in front of me, but does does the iguana does he actually look like Rondo Hatton?
2: Um, he looks like a big lizard Rondo Hatton. Oh, okay. like, like so he's a Rondo vi- Hatton
0: was a lizard.
2: Yeah, he's a very large man, um, sunglasses, big heavily pronounced lips, like yeah. Rondo, but not Rondo's lips were thick and and bulbulous. He has more of a lizard countenance. Like his 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 uh, lips are very pointed. Uh but he's he's as a skin condition, where he's very, very scaly. So he—he's the like to say this the the uh, the Cuban interpretation of Rondo Hatton, I guess.
0: That's that's something. That's that's special. I like that. Yeah, it's a I very
2: very good book.
0: I love Rondo Hatton. Me so too. That's, that's enough for me. Yeah,
2: I gotta get this.
1: Oh, uh,
0: well, that's Yeah, well, uh, good
2: uh, way, Vince. yeah but uh, reader, be warned: um, the madam of the brothel is black. And the iguana is not kind with the words he uses to her, so I mean it it will incense you, but that's just part of the mythology of of the the iguana. He uses words that should never be uttered. Let's just put it that mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. yeah, makes sense yeah
1: um well in 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 that vein of noir and um and since you mentioned criminal, this is a book that was recently um, is, is about to be re-released. I think it was in, if not April's previews, maybe in March's, but uh, it's going to be uh, reprinted in a more traditional comic booky size. And I think it might be a hardcover, but this came out, uh, since we're all going in the Wayback Machine, I'm going to say all the way back to 2009. And this contains creators like Brian Azarello, Eduardo Barreto, Ed Baker, Alex DeCampi, um, the Phil Bach brothers, Stefano Guardiano, Rick Geary, Paul Grist, Joel Jones, Kano, David Lapham, Tom Morzkowski, Dean Motter, uh, Fabio Moon, Gabriel Ba, Jeff Lemire, Hugo Petrus, Gary Phillips, Sean Phillips. Clem Robbins, and this is published by Dark Horse Books. It is Noir, a collection of crime comics. And I've had this for a while, and I, I flipped through it over the years, but I finally sat down and, and read it cover to cover. Um, and I like most of the stories in this collection. They don't all necessarily fit in the – I wouldn't consider them Noir. They're Everybody in the book, this collection of stories – Everyone in each story is is underhanded or despicable in in, in some shape or form. Um, there are villain, villains and heroes in each story. Uh, the story by David Levithan is is a stray bullet story. Um, there is the story by um, Brubaker and Phillips is a uh, a a criminal story it's set in the criminal universe but it is a uh, it's a criminal emission they call it. it it it's only about um maybe eight or so pages but uh i again it was weird some of i mean one of the stories involves a cowboy uh who just came to get his horse and again i'm not real sure where only because he had to get money from um from crime boss. Uh, again, it's not like there was some gumshoe, or I mean, even the woman telling the story um, doesn't exactly come across uh, very noir-like, and, and the art doesn't really fit that mold. But um, overall, the uh, the art varies, but it is it's it's all um, nobody seems to have phoned it in just because it was a handful of pages and I wanted to do a story they all they all kind of um knew who else was in the book and they kind of it it, it comes across to me as though they wanted they put on their working shoes they they definitely wanted to put um put their best work out there It's always great to see eduardo barreto um he, he's definitely a creator that I do miss um and and happy that uh I have the work that he did do. Um, in my collection there's a prose piece and there are spot illustrations in it. That's the work by um Joelle Jones. And it's 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 early ish Joel. Um it's not uh the later Lady Killer and, and Catwoman um stuff, but but uh the bones of what's to come is, is definitely here. The Rick Geary story is is pretty neat about a guy who um uh who Finds out his wife is cheating on him. He takes medication. He hires... Um, he, he loses his job at the car dealership. Um, and he uh, he couldn't find employment. And he um, his wife insisted that he see a doctor. Doctor prescribes some pills. Um, he's walking around in a blissful haze. He's happy now. So happy that um, he thought maybe he should stop taking his pills. And when he does... Um, he uh he feels his wife Carla detaching herself. Um, and and there are nights where she completely misses dinner because now she's working to support them. I uh, um he hires a private investigator, finds out that uh his wife is meeting someone at work, and uh, they leave to go to a hotel, a different hotel for each uh tryst. Uh, and he Checks in with a different name each time. Uh, The private investigator says that uh, he, here's all the information I have. So um, the guy says, listen, I just, I want to, um, I want to, I want to know where they're going next based on their routine. I want to surprise them. I just want to be at the room. Uh, I want to catch my wife. As she's walking in and and um, and see your face and but that was a ruse. He had actually hired an assassin to um, to kill his wife. Um, so the PI calls the husband. Husband calls the assassin. He goes about his business. He, he cuts the grass. He talks to neighbors. Sets up his alibi. Um, Finds watches the news that night. There's a report about a couple murdered in a in the most ghastly manner at a local motel, um, but notices that that's not really the hotel that he sent the guy to, um, and that's when Carla walks in the door. And apparently there was a major miscommunication. Uh, but um, Carl and I are intimate, uh, more intimate than we ever were. And and he's back at the dealership, and and like that was the story. And I was like, that's just. I mean, it's great to see a Geary story, but that's kind of didn't visually it didn't fit in when you start off with 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 a, a stray bullet story and you kind of end with a um well the criminal story was second to last but um I just I really enjoyed it. I I really did. I know again this isn't new. Um there's a uh it's it definitely feels like a dark horse anthology um the uh the the Hugo Petrus story looks great, uh, but it's weird. It's kind of got a science fiction vibe again. Not really sure if it fits in with the, the noir feel that uh, that they're going for. There's a there's a um, there's a Mister X story which I was happy to see, um, and the Lemire story is interesting. It, it definitely it, it's it's the oldest feeling story because it takes place on a farm and and a grain silo and um, it there's a bank heist involved. It's Jeff is really one of the few in the book that came prepared based on the, uh, the subject matter. And and the last story by Azarello and and Riso is, is, um, I'm sorry. It's, it's by, um, Moon and Ba, uh, but it's written by Brian Azarello, um, is basically a take on the events leading up to the moments in, um, in Crime Alley. Uh, So there's a slight Batman connection there, but it's, um, yeah, I, I, kind of dug it. I know that, um, I mentioned the reprint, um, in the previous video. And, and because I knew based on the creators involved, um, it's something that I think should be on, on people's shelves. But yeah, this was, um, Again, it ain't new I'm 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 late to the party and it's talking about it in in its entirety, but um this was uh this was I don't want to say it was a lot of fun based on some of the events in these stories, but it was it was it, it it was an entertaining read and and if uh if you get a chance, if you can find the um and and when I say that the reprint is is collected in a more comic booky size, it's because this is um slightly the dimensions of it are slightly um bigger than a uh than a manga book as far as the um the dimensions of it. It it's it's right in between. It, it's about the same size as the current um Marvel graphic novels or uh the the DC for kids books. It's it's kind of like that. Or Superman Smashes the Clan. I'm talking about that size. But um Yeah, if if you could find the original version, grab it. If uh, if you're waiting for the um, for the re-release that's due soon, then then grab that. But uh, I um, I had fun with this.
0: I remember really liking that when it came out, and because that came out about the same time that Vertigo had that uh, imprint of um,
1: crime crime comics, right? I think so. I,
0: but I, I haven't i haven't thought about that comic in, in in a long time but i remember really liking that and thinking that most of them were pretty good um even if a lot of them felt like they were adjuncts to you know pre-existing stories and series and what have you i, I kind of I, I remember thinking that i thought it was going to be more unique like singular stories but but I, but thinking that it was pretty good yeah
2: i i love it i think it's a good anthology but i think um one of the driving forces behind it was the fact that they wanted to hammer home that noir is not a visual a- aesthetic it's a thematic component mm-hmm. like n- noir can be brightly colored you don't need shadows and chiaroscuro to do noir it's it's not necessary you need that moral ambiguity or or you yeah. know what i mean to to classify it as noir uh, i don't i think that um like a superman story couldn't be no, can be noir if the thematic components sure. are there so that's yeah. what i think this anthology is doing it's saying you know it's not all gumshoes and shadows I say, and say gum yeah, yeah yeah
0: well yeah but i mean film noir and, and hard-boiled fiction has always been that way right i mean hey I, i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you but i mean that's that's always been like what's central to like right and no, the there body. is a yeah. there is
2: a visual aesthetic to cinematic noir, but as far as the definition of the the as, you know the the um, genre, it's not primarily concerned with visuals. It's more right. th- thematic.
0: Yeah, no, James Cain's not writing. He's not. He's not describing slatted Venetian blinds Right. down. Yeah.
2: Noir. And Maltese yeah. falcons on the on the desk, and you know what I mean, like yeah, yeah. yeah. She was a hot dame. I needed a roadmap cool. to get from her ankle to her to her thigh. Well, Whatever. they might
0: be saying that. In fact, they are saying
1: that. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I mean, as far as the moral ambiguity of of things, yeah, they're, they're, the <laughs> the characters are definitely. Um, not everyone has the 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 best of, of intentions or or at least they're just trying to survive and and in that regard yeah if, if, if we're going to break down the, the definition or, or at least the aspects the what 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 do you feel when 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 you consider noir at that that that's on the page
2: yeah you yeah. could you could make an argument for saying dark knight returns is noir
1: Oh sure, it is. Yeah, Frank Miller loves that
0: stuff. Yeah, right. I mean, that's. I mean, Daredevil: Born Again is
2: Sin City. I mean, shit. Yeah, sure. Well,
0: it's, yeah. Those are, those, those are all hard-boiled crime fiction.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what could you make an argument for, Mr. Crusade?
0: Well, uh, to over because there's so many overlaps with horror and noir, then I will tell you about horror comic I've been reading, uh, and to keep it uh, in line with all of the brand new comics that we've been talking about. All night, I, too, have been reading uh, some brand-new comics as of 1953. Um, I pulled off my shelf because I'm stuck at home and trying to uh, get just get new things to read and read stuff that I either haven't read or I don't remember having read um, or just really enjoyed and trying to sort of find some sort of pleasure in all of that uh, again. So I pulled off the shelf... Uh, from the Yo Books uh, imprint at IDW, the Bob Powell's t- uh, Terror, which is just a collection of Bob Powell uh, pre-code horror comics.
2: So good. Uh,
0: it's it's beautiful. And and as I started flipping through it, like I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't remember if I had read this before based on the cover. And then I started reading. it. I was like, oh, I've read these before. Okay, I feel really good about this. Um, but anyway, so I was reading through these. And I just love bob powell and uh, really underrated and underappreciated um cartoonist of the era uh, and maybe it's because he died so young um he died in 1967 he was only 51 uh, and didn't really have an opportunity to make a splash with um you know silver age readers like i think a lot of his contemporaries did in in other in other ways um but but anyway i i really i really like this a lot and as I was reading through these stories, it remind, it, it felt much more Cronenberg y than I remembered. Um, there's a lot of body horror in this kind of stuff, and it's really different from at least the stories that are collected here are really different from a lot of like the Tales of Come up and, and sort of karmic retribution of you know a Ditko story or something at EC or you know, something along those lines. feels really different. These all feel like they're just straight up just body horror um, that don't really have a point other than just to show uh, ghastly, gruesome, distorted humanoid shapes and what happens to them. Um, The first story is called Wall of Flesh. It's just about a wall of flesh that sucks, uh, that a bad scientist has created for reasons known only to himself. Uh, He just wants a flesh bank um, where apparently he's going to Cut off pieces of flesh and uh, distribute them, or you could store your own flesh. Not really clear what it, what a flesh bank is, but um, so. But there's a woman who gets stuck in a flesh bank, or it's uh, it, she doesn't just get stuck. This mad scientist shoves her in there because she rebukes his uh, his passes at her, and then her soldier boyfriend comes in and tries to save her, and then he's inevitably sucked into the into the flesh wall himself. Uh, but, so this, this is volume one. This is yeah. This okay. Is just the Bob Powell. This is just the terror, Bob Powell's terror. Because I have several of these. Uh, I don't have any other Bob Powell volumes.
2: Okay. Um, uh, there's there's a two, and I think there, I think there's two. Yeah. Is
0: there, is there a second Bob Powell? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one I with the, ha- the the
2: the guy holding the glass up, and the woman you could see through the glass.
0: Oh right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the mis- the Misfits cover. Yeah. Uh, or the Misfits album. Which, right. Um, yeah, I don't have that one. I I just have the I have the first one. But anyway, so this one uh has that story. It's got the Ratman story in it. Um it's got another one called Jack of Horror about a gambler who um is asked to re- who meets up with an old witch and says that she's going to help him get retribution on his um on uh, the people that he owes money to and then a pack of cards come to life and murder people and then he tries to set them on fire and then he gets caught on fire. Uh, and there's another great one in here. I just wanted to touch on real quickly. Oh, called, it's a two part story called, uh, the first story is called the last, Ma- or the first story is called the last man on earth. And the second story is, uh, has a related title that I'm not going to flip to, but anyway, um, it's a really interesting story about the future. It takes place in the year, uh, 2052, where there's been a nuclear Holocaust, And there's only a few thousand people left. And many of those people uh, have mutated into these just sort of shambling sort of masses of flesh uh, with these sort of, um, you know, monosyllabic sort of tongues and all that sort of thing. And they are at first captured by people, uh, by the regular humans who are trying to study them. And then they learn that these things cannot actually be destroyed. They keep sort of regenerating. Uh, And then eventually the entire population becomes this sort of shambling, mindless mass, except for one guy uh, who makes it his mission to destroy all of these things. And then he does. Uh, And then after he destroys all of these sort of all of these mutants all around the globe, it's not clear exactly how he travels all around the globe. But just suffice, suffice to say, he believes he has traveled the entire world over murdered every mutant and then just as he murders the last mutant he himself becomes a mutant uh and is, um finds a time and becomes just enraged at himself and at humanity and at all of these things uh and then finds a time machine transports himself back to 1952 where uh he just starts killing people uh and then part two of the story picks up from there and he is traveling around killing people. And then scientists in 1952 find another way to blast him even further back into time where he's eaten by a dinosaur. <laughs> just, and the great irony of the story is that the the last the last man on Earth ends up being the first man on Earth and is immediately devoured by a dinosaur. Yeah. Um, so, So anyway, I mean, it's just it's a lot of stories like that. But what I like I said, what I really liked about this is how, you know. Like I said, how Cronenberg these stories feel uh, because they're not really about the plot. They're not really about comeuppance. They're not about any sort of justice or retribution or any of those things, even though a lot of them have these sort of ironic twists. They're not really, there's nothing really plot centric about them. They're about body horror and just different ways for Bob Powell to draw disturbed, distorted, you know, uh, mutated human flesh. And all of the different sort of nasty ways in which that um, can be presented and then impacts characters in the story. And I just, I'm here for it. I love David Cronenberg. I love those kinds of stories. Uh, I, I like seeing, sort of, I like pushing. Like I like the I like the notion of pushing sort of human flesh to the limit, and then what happens when you've pushed human flesh to the limit, and what are the consequences of that? Well, they're usually not good, right? Something really just sort of disgusting and malformed happens, um, revealing some sort of inner state or some sort of thing about just the nature of trying to create something that is beyond um, beyond sort of the human self. And I really I really love those stories, um, and Bob Powell. Uh, does it masterfully uh, the uh, the last one i guess i 'll talk about just very briefly is this story called the rat man and it 's just about i mean again he 's not getting cute it 's just about a man who turns into a rat that 's it and the story and the ending of the story is goofy as hell because he 's fed rat he he 's fed rat poison, and that 's how he dies but the way that Powell renders the Ratman, when he becomes a Ratman by just sort of unusual, by a set of unusual set of circumstances, like, it's fine. But the way that he renders him and the way that the character moves through the page and just is this, this, you know, shambling malformed thing that is just creeping up on on people and eating them and and just making them feel some kind of way i really <laughs> I, I, I really like it i just really like it and he, he has the, human
2: feet too the rat has human it. the rat has human back feet
0: yeah he's yeah, back, he, has he, he has human feet a rat tail and a somewhat sort of human-like face
2: <laughs>
0: and it's it's terrific um I mean, like I said, the plot is not a lot to write – there's not a lot to write home about with the plot, but that's okay because that's clearly not the point, right? right? The point is to disturb you, you know, visually. You're supposed to have some sort of visceral reaction to what you're seeing on the page, and I think Powell does a really good job of, um, of making you feel that, that sort of grossness yeah. of it all.
2: The one panel that uh, sticks out to me, even after having read that when it so, – I mean, so long ago, the old woman – with the she's got her tongue hanging out and she's like oh it's just a rat and just the the look on her face is so yeah. disturbing yeah
0: so i i read those panels two or three different times because it says the the dialogue says that uh just looking at the rat man frightened her so much that she just turned into an old lady right right but it but when you look at the drawing it looks like it looks like her skin has been peeled off of her face, <laughs> and, her t-
2: and her teeth fell out.
0: <laughs> yeah, and her teeth fell out, and her t- like you said, like her tongue is just laying there, just sort of just <laughs> laughing at nothing, right? Uh, like I, there's a part of me that wondered that if the if the original sort of thought with the story is that the rat ripped off of, ripped off her face and she survived it. And then someone yeah. said, eh, maybe we shouldn't sell this story to children, and then made it seem as though she was too frightened to look at To look at.
2: <laughs> yeah, but then he at. drags her out of the building.
0: Yeah, he, <laughs> she, he drags her out of the building. No, he doesn't drag her out of the building. He drags somebody else out of the building and throws them into his little burrow where he's storing all his dead bodies. <laughs> but she sticks around because she's the one who tells the guy that kills him. Um, what's his name? I can't think of it. I don't name, remember
2: she, the name, yeah.
0: But she she's the one who tells... The guy that kills the rat and feeds in the rat poison, the woman who is turned into an old lady is the one who rats on the rat.
2: Right. Very nice. Very nicely so, done.
0: But, uh, but anyway, so like I said, I've just been trying to pull stuff off the shelf that, um, you know, excited me at one point, And I couldn't remember a lot about it off the top of my head. And this is one that I grabbed today. And I just, I just loved it. It was just a lot of fun yeah it doesn't take a lot of time to read you're just i mean you don't really need to spend a lot of time reading it you're just looking to see what grotesqueries powell's going to put on the page next
2: yep and, and the great thing I mean, about it is there's so many short stories in there you could stick a bookmark in there come back to it you know yeah. read it read another story i i lament the passing of i of yo books from idw i don't think yeah. he's doing too much with them anymore uh, maybe a, an archival book here or there, but we don't get haunted horror anymore. A- any of the, the, the floppy size reprints, they're all gone. And he's yeah. really scaled back on the number of, um, you know, chilling archives of the horror comics books. I don't think there's any, uh, scheduled anymore, which is, it saddens me because yes, he is scooping up a bunch of public domain stuff and, and throwing it at us. That's, that's fine, but nobody's archiving this stuff anymore. Mm-mm. you know
0: yeah no i i don't i don't have a problem with that and i there was a time not too long ago maybe three or four years if even that maybe two years um where there was some sort of kerfuffle over at the comics journal about a yeah. lot of these reprints and yeah. i thought that was nonsense
2: no it wasn't I, a good look on their part
0: no because i really i really like these reprints i love that there's just minim, that there's minimal cleanup and um there's something to be said for the fact that you know i get it like you're not seeing like really clean the really clean line work and you're not really getting you might not be getting a like a full sense of like how great a pencil and anchor bob powell was but right,
2: well you know where he's, where he's getting all the stuff right
0: right yeah no I, yeah but like i just love that you just There's something that you just feel that it just feels different about seeing the way that it looked on that page that he scanned
2: that day. Right. I would prefer that they didn't clean it up. I want to see all the all the warts because that that I I mean, it's the same thing that that kills me when you get the sin today and they're all like, oh, how's the transfer? Is there grain? Is there film imperfections? Like, are the colors vibrant? What the hell are you talking about? You're trying to apply that to a 50-year-old film. Really? Like, I don't want the the, the film to be pristine. I want to see the flakes and the grain and the the film splices. And in in the case of comics, I want to see the off-registration and the 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 color of the paper and the the you know the moldy brown paper like that's just part of what time does to these things we love why are you trying yeah. to pretend that that doesn't exist
0: yeah no I agree I mean I I think if you're gonna do it I mean then it should just be black and white right but yeah like, I'm okay with just really clean black and white stuff like I really like the Fantagraphics EC reprints they've been doing sure because I because I absolutely hate the recolors on the gemstone ones right and um and even the dark horse and when marvel like the marvel recolors i hate those i just hate them yeah Yeah. so i either want to see it in black and white or i want to see it scanned from right a, a, a living copy of it
2: well there is one person to thank for for that current trend and that's chip Kidd. yeah i mean say what you will about chip um, he has his ups and downs, but his his aesthe- aesthetic of just like scan it the way it is and pre- preserve it as it exists today. I think that is well worth all of his um, whatever those friggin' shitty covers were that he did for um, oh the Final
1: Crisis, curse? Final Crisis, the Infinite oh, Countdown, yeah. whatever it was, and Convergence, Convergence.
2: Convergence. Those oh. are the ones, yeah, yeah. His really crappy like whatever. We won't get into Here's it. Yeah. Yeah, here's something else somebody drew. I'm just going to put a blend behind it. Where's my, you know, two thousand dollars for doing that? But anyway, awesome.
0: But anyway, yeah, I, I just it brought me it just brought me a lot of just joy today just reading through those stories and just seeing all those weird misshapen people. I
2: loved it. I'm with you, Crucey. Those books yeah. brought me a lot of joy too. All right, people. Wow. Hey, thank you uh, for being here with us. We love you so much. If you would like to get your stuff less than everybody else is paying, there's only one place to go, and that's Discount Comic Book Service. DCBService.com has everything in that big boatload of a catalog that's called Diamond Previews for a fraction of what everybody else is paying. Go there, and you'll save. That's, that's it. DCBService.com. Any your travels... I got a little bit more noir. Like I said, I'm catching up on a lot of stuff I let fall by the wayside. This was published by Fantagraphics. And it is written by a bunch of people. Benjamin Legrand, Dominique Grange, and Jacques Tardy. And of course, it's illustrated completely by Tardy. It's called New York Monomore. Has anybody read this? I have not. No? No, I don't think so. Well, it's an anthology. I'm not going to get through the whole thing. I don't really care to because I would like you to discover it yourself. But there's one story in particular, uh, and it's the longest story in this volume. It's called Cockroach Killer. And it tells the tale of a man named Walter Eisenhower, who was born during the tail end of World War II when the Allies were slapping the shit out of the Nazis. Um, his father was killed in the war. His mother was an alcoholic. She couldn't scrape on, up enough money to, uh, feed her child. So she sold him to an American GI. So the Walter was raised in Brooklyn. Um, dad dies. Mom becomes a cripple. She's, she's you no know, wheelchair bound. Take he takes care of his mother. So he gets a job as an exterminator for the Blitz exterminating company. And that's where things take a really dark turn. He receives a call to go to this Dr. Nielsen's place on the 12th floor. He gets in the elevator, he looks at the buttons, and there's a 13. And he's like, what the frig? This is New York. There's no 13 floors here. So curiosity gets the better of him. He presses 13, and it's, there's an actual 13 floor in this building. So he, he, he walks around and he hears something he shouldn't have heard here's these guys talking behind closed doors about assassinations both past and future political uh assassinations multinational corporations assassinations and he gets the hell out right um so he gets to where he was supposed to go and they receive him kind of coldly they're like why the hell did it take you so long to get to come up 12 floors like what the hell um so he he does the job does his little exterminating thing gets out and he's he's shaken right he's like holy shit, they they know. They know I heard that stuff. So he, he goes to a local bar and he tells his whole story to his coworker Luis, who was once a gang leader. Big mistake, because Luis uses the fact that this guy, Walter, heard something he shouldn't have heard as a, a brokering chip. He blackmails, or he tries to blackmail the people doing the talking, saying, I'll give you this Walter guy, you give me a boatload of money long story short, it doesn't end well for most of the people within this story. um lots of killing lots of um lots of blood but the 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 the, the gist of it is it takes place in new York nineteen eighty three which is my New York before they sanitized it um, All of the streets are rain slicked you can see the reflections of the taillights from the cabs. Uh, it, it, it visually, it is, it makes me, it takes me back to that happy place for the New York that I love and remember. Back before it was a lie. Before they, before they sanitized Times Square and other places to, to the current status quo where the, the you know, the, the image is, is way more important than the truth behind the matter. You know, New York is still New York. You just get that bullshit Times Square. Disneyland crap that doesn't apply to the entire city as a whole but whatever um the entire story is done in black and white and gray but the 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 uniforms for the blitz exterminating company are all red it's awesome and there's a a, a part where Walter sees the cockroaches with little nazi with uh, swastikas on their back And he sees the whole encroachment of the the vermin that was Nazi Germany spreading all over into the surrounding, uh, countries as the spread of cockroaches, the infestation of vermin into all these countries. It's a really poignant, um, uh, comparison, but I thought the book was great. There's a bit of a preoccupation with John Lennon in a lot of the stories, um, in The the Cockroach Killer, John Lennon's death touches the periphery of the narrative, but in one story uh, it takes the forefront. There's a guy who looks very much like John Lennon, but he has a hunchback, and I won't spoil anything else. It's a magnificent collection uh, illustrated by one of the giants of sequential art, uh, Jacques Tardy. It's just an amazing volume. Go get it. It's in the the Jacques Tardy library that Fantagraphics has been been uh, belting out for a long, long time. It's great. New York, Mon amour. Get it, get it, get it. That's great. So good. It's brutal, though. I would say it's brutal. New York can be brutal. And my New York was. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you're New York. We all have. No one else's. No, we all have... Uh, our golden age, and my golden age in New York is like 75 to 90. After that, I
1: don't know what happened to the place. Yeah, no, my, mine is mine's mid-80s to 90, because that's when I would frequent it, but yeah.
2: The drugs, United. the prostitution, the murder, like all of that makes that city beautiful to me.
3: Dude, I've told you this before, but you have to watch The Deuce. The Deuce. Yeah, on HBO. Okay. okay. You should- the David Simon HBO show, it's all about that era. It starts with the the pimp era when the girls are on the streets and what that's like and it evolves through the legalization of porn and the brothels and the V in the VHS area era, era to, to the end of that, like to basically when the city's about to get gentrified and cleaned up. It's incredible.
2: I gotta yep. watch it. What's it on?
3: HBO, HBO. still.
2: Hmm. Cool.
3: You gotta watch it. I've told you before, but maybe this time you'll do it.
2: Oh, like you always listen to my (laughs) recommendations. No,
3: but this is like because you wax romantically every time about that era of New York. Like, I love the show, but I have no particular affinity for that era. But I think, man, this is like Vince would just be splooging over this.
2: New York at that time had made such an impression on me that I tell my kids all the time. If I ever get sick to the point where I'm hospitalized and I just go missing one day. You will find me in New York City because I, I'm resolute. I'm going to die on the streets of New York City. That's how much New York means to me. There, there has never been or will never be a greater city than New York City. In my mind, sure, in other people's mind, that information may be different. But for me, New York City, that's my place. I'm, even though I, I come from Pennsylvania... I'm nowhere more at home than I am in New York City. I don't know why. Well, I know partly why, but the big picture, I have no idea. It's just—I just love that place. I'm no—I'm so comfortable. Uh, the threat of death, whatever. I, I really don't care.
1: It's we. I I I firmly believe this. I'm not sure how close. My wife feels this way, but um, I, I, my thought process in moving to where we are now is because we just we can't live in the city yet. Oh, too expensive. Yeah. Right. So, so it's. I mean, I'm not saying this is the next best thing, but it's a lot of what I enjoy about our area is reminds me of, and I. You, obviously you can hear the trains if we were depending on where you 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 could in some cases here in l but for the most part um yeah i'm pretty sure she wouldn't mind living in a high rise but there's just i i i feel more comfortable in especially in new york city but i feel more comfortable in the city than i'm pretty much do
2: anywhere else yeah i would like to be closer to the ground level like maybe an apartment on the third or second floor where you have to walk up the rickety stairway to get there and there's <laughs> and there's graffiti all on the inside. I'm of, pretty sure oh, that would want to live no, in the rickety stairway. That's I, friggin' I, I Nirvana try. to me. That's that's my utopia. Yeah. So take it. Go, run with it. Uh well this is about a
1: nameless city. Um catching up again on the um on the image review pdfs uh, i um I finally read the first volume of November, which I then followed with the second volume um Jason's talked about November in the past i'm I'm not gonna go too deep on the first volume the second vi- when read them back to back things um I don't know if there's um i don't know how much might be lost in in the time between the two volumes. It's not uh, the, the first volume isn't it's, there's a lot of things you can kind of write with your mind. in the first one, I mean, they're on the page the story is on the page, obviously, but, um, fraction doesn't hit you over the head and, and put into words what it is that, um, that you're seeing it. it it's a very show. Don't tell type of story. And, um, and the, the art is, um, by by elsa it it's it is it fits the story um part of it reminds me of um if darwin was drawing roughs and and this is it's 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 kind of got a a darwin cook feel but it's not as um finished or polished as 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 darwin's work um is that this is uh it's a little bit more looser and 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 in some cases cartoony but it's also um there are moments where it is absolutely a dark story but um but yeah if if uh you hadn't gotten around to reading the first volume i i uh urge you to fix that and uh and and definitely check out the second volume once um once you're able um the second volume, there's a little bit more color in in the second volume. It, it's, um, but it's, it, it's still rough. It's still brutal. It, it's still telling the story of, of three women um, on the first of November, uh, and it's, um, and, and and they're all strong women, um, but it's still a, um, a brutal story in 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 spots. But uh, I'm. I'm looking forward to the third volume. It, it's uh, it, it's it's weird. I, I I really really did enjoy it, and um, I was looking forward to it. But for some reason, it um, and and maybe when the third volume is out, I'll I'll reread them again. Um, but but for some reason, it it I expected it to be knocked on my ass the way everybody, my friends were talking about it, and and it it missed the mark just by it a hair. It 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 didn't it didn't wow me. I don't it would it would. It, I don't know if it would be a a runner up on on um on my classes but I I absolutely um applaud the creative team for for the story because the the, the words and pictures work really well together. I mean I we, we've seen my fraction work with a bunch of of artists and uh in in the past and um he seems to have a style that works with with just about anybody's um, visual take on a story. So this was um, this, and, and I probably the lettering didn't. Um, and again, this could absolutely be because it is. It's it's a preview PDF. I don't know how it's going to look on. it. I don't know how different it may look in a finished page. But but some of the lettering because it's it's either lowercase or some of it is script with the captions. It's it's um it's. Um, it's not so easy for me to decipher as uh, I was doing a lot of zooming in to, to, to see, um, what people were saying, but I absolutely love the characters, uh, well, especially the, the ones you're supposed to be rooting for. And it's, um, definitely something I could see why folks are recommending it. And I am too, with, with, with many travels, um, I'd still, Definitely enjoyed it. Definitely would recommend it. So so the first two volumes of November, uh, at least the second one, when it's
3: finally out. So there you go. All right, respect it. Um, now, this book that uh, I'm, I think I heard Dap make an offhanded remark that he didn't care for the art the other week. Uh, so we'll have to see. i have to get his follow-up on this. But um, in your travels... Uh, I want you guys. Well, first of all, I should say that we have been fortunate. Uh, the good people at Image Comics have provided us, as they always do, with uh, with review copies of their work. But uh, they deluged us this uh, past week with some uh, collected editions and graphic novels, I guess, in anticipation to uh, to the uh, unfreezing of the comics industry, which which looms in a couple more weeks, which is great. Um, and this is uh, written by Paolo Baron with art by Ernesto Carbonetti. Uh, it is Paul is dead. Dead. Uh, yeah, and um, it comes out on June third. It is uh, a uh, six and a half by nine and a half uh, size, so more of a digest. Um, it's a full color painted graphic novel with a very simple premise. Uh, those of you that uh, were around then, Vince or uh, the rest of us that weren't but like the music um, (laughs) may remember that there was a uh, little bit of a PR uh, slash conspiracy that uh, Paul McCartney died in November 1966 in London in a car crash. And this is basically a what-if book. It's what if that really happened, essentially. And um, it's totally unfair of me like absolutely unfair of me to compare this to the fifth beetle. Um, yes, you know, I mean like in the sense that the fifth beetle is a dark horse comic from seven, eight years ago written by Vivek Tiwari and drawn by Andrew Robinson. That really looks at uh, a much longer period of, uh, of, of the Beatles life, um, you know, and, um, and really tells a, a fully formed story about Brian Epstein, uh, their manager, it's basically the, the, the true account of him though, up to his, the point where he's uh, gone. And and so this is is a couple days in the life of, uh, well, a, a couple weeks maybe in the life of the Beatles uh, at a very particular time. So um, other than the Beatles being the center point, there's not a lot of similarities between these books. But I have, I have to bring it up because I definitely ordered this in part because of how much I adored The Fifth Beatle and uh this was good, but I don't think this will be something that I remember fondly and recommend to people um often beyond what it is it, it it's it's a it's a what if from my vantage i don't know why i mentioned it i thought it that but kind of commented about the art uh, from from my vantage the 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 saving grace of this is very much carbonetti's painting i i i i thought his his it was almost a, a character-esque type of a, a approach to the characters i I thought it worked really well and 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 he he has a lot of fun with uh, very impressionist and abstract backgrounds and cuts between uh a panel so i, I like I really much enjo- very much enjoyed this as the the visual experience more so than I took much away from the narrative of it um, so yeah i mean that 's why i 'm doing it in your travels. I definitely can recommend it if you 're a Beatles fan I think you 'll enjoy it quite a bit but if you were eyeing this up as, say, something just like we've been talking about a lot of crime in Noir tonight, if you were thinking this was going to be some kind of, of crime book or alternative history book, I mean, on some level, I guess it is that, but it's very surface level. Like it's not, There's not a lot here beyond a few snapshots of their lives of what if Paul had actually died, or, or I should say, what if they all really thought Paul was dead. Um, and, and there's a big twist, and honestly, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't an oh wow twist. It was a oh okay. So I think anytime you're talking about one of these stories where there's a twist ending, whether it be a um, a Black Mirror or Twilight Zone or or, or or any you know pick your pick your um, pick your medium. Um, I, I think a lot of my enjoyment of it comes down to do they legitimately surprise me or do I find that the the twist. Um, Thoughtful or unique or or, or particularly clever, and uh, I, I didn't find this one all that unique or clever. So um, yeah, so your mileage may vary. Uh, again, I, I probably sounds like I'm not recommending this book. I, I did enjoy the book very much, um, and and so I, I do think. But just be be aware of what you're getting into is, is, is my point. The visually, it, it's it's
1: a um, it is a butte. I. The pages, the, the the panel layouts, the the splashing of the colors—it's it's um, it's a messy, beautiful book. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 right there with you. I mean, when I think of the Fifth Beatle, or I think of Lenin the New York years, things like that, I don't know if um, because of obviously the the subject, they would probably go together on my bookshelf. But I, I this one would stick out like a sore thumb. Um. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll back you up as far as in your travels. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, and then I've got one
0: as well. That's uh, actually the next thing that's on my to read stack. Um, it is from Bill Griffith of Zippy the Pinhead fame. Yes. Uh, last year, I want to say it was last year. Maybe it was last year. Uh, I read uh, Invisible Ink, which is his uh, autobiographical account or, uh, memoir of um, his mother's affair with a famous cartoonist, which I thought was just really uh, terrific. Um, I'm kind of hit and miss with, with Zippy, but I thought Invisible Ink was fantastic. Um, really loved it. So then I saw that he uh, put together... A biography called Nobody's Fool: The Life and Times of Schlitzie the Pinhead, which came out last year, and right, I yeah. I was all over it, and uh, I I am a fan of Schlitzie mostly just because of the movie Freaks, um, but uh, so I picked this up because I was so enamored with Invisible Ink, and I thought that um, Bill Griffith doing Schlitzie is probably the most right biography for him to do, um, so. So anyway, it's a uh, pretty in-depth, um, you know, historical look at Schlitzy's life. There's lots of interviews with primary sources, uh, sort of moving throughout the country and talking about the way that Schlitzy either actually felt or allegedly felt about sort of his life and career, and uh, being a part of the sideshow and um, the fame or and sort of fortune and misfortune that, that came along with all of that, um, and it's. So far, just a really interesting and moving story about this person that I think, um, you know, people feel some kind of way about. Like I said earlier, about sort of those sort of body horror type things and um, people that uh, are shaped differently. I guess. So. Uh, so anyway, so I, I really, I really like Griffith's uh, writing on these autobiocomics. I think that he's has a really smart. Uh, insight into sort of the life end. Um, it just feels right, and that he opens it with a quote from William Lizzie Gresham from *Monster Midway* is, of course, perfect and appropriate. Um, so
2: there it is. Duff. how can you not like Schlitzy? I know I love Schlitzy.
0: I don't. I, I can't. I can't think of any, a good reason to not like Schlitzy. Um, but how many times?
2: I've used that animated GIF against Dap. When he says something funny, I'll always send the... Well, more often than not, I send the Schlitzie the Pinhead guffaw GIF to, to Dap. Because it just brings me so much joy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I think there's something really beautiful about that. And I think that it's... Um, I, I mean, not just the GIF, obviously, but the what Schlitzie kind of offers people. I think that there is something there's something in sort of like our current moment where we're not supposed to really appreciate and understand like what the sideshow is or was and we're supposed to only look at it in a through a very critical and angry lens and i don't think that that's always correct uh it's exploitive yes but there's something happening there that is not exclusively exploitive right i mean these are men and women who who made a living in in, in um, uh, you know uh, you know when they might not otherwise not have had an opportunity to do so. Right and, the, and and there's I mean because it's related. I mean because it started there. It's it's like professional wrestlers, right? Who who's the who's the mark, right? The who who's who's the dumbass, like the person that is making money or the person that is paying their money. I mean, it doesn't take too it's not too difficult to figure that out, right? Um and that people and figures like Schlitzie and and you know his ilk you know, got to provide something for people, I think is important and um and I think that these are stories worth telling. Um and we don't just need to sort of sideline them. Or and Rondo Hatton's another great example of that, right? His Archomegaly is what made him a star, right? The, you know, say say what you will, Well, one way or the other but i mean i think those are the facts of the case there is no rondo hatton if he doesn't get archimegaly right um you know that's just that's just the end so so anyway so uh so i'm really excited to finish this out um like i said i think i think griffith does a really great job with the material and he's you know the right person to be telling this story
2: there you go you are correct i know Sweet. sweet super sweet super sweet so hey, everybody. We thank you for being here with us. We thank, of course, Mr. Zach Crusay for uh, dropping some science on us. Uh, why don't you tell them about the book and where they can get it one more time?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. So the book is Mysterious Travelers, Steve Ditko and the Search for a New Liberal Identity. You can pre-order it now from uh, directly from the publisher, which is University Press of Mississippi. Uh, but if you don't want to do that, then you can pick it up on Amazon or through IndieBound.org, which is a uh, independent uh, local bookstore collective uh, or if you really feel like you need to wait then it will be available in comic shops in february and you can pre-order it uh from the diamond previews catalog in december
2: nice so we'd like to thank him for doing that and make sure you take a keep an eye peeled for that book and if you would like more of this here stuff go to instagram facebook reddit and twitter we're all over there um Come to the uh, Patreon page, Woo-hoo. patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. This past week, we had the very first EOC movie night, which was mostly a success. There was a little bit of uh, hiccups getting the uh, cast app up and working, but once I got it, you know, once I figured out the, the wrinkle in it, we watched, um, Argo Man, The Fantastic Superman from 1967. It was made by Italians, the best people on earth. Um, and Dap has to tell you about, and so if you're a patron, you get the EOC movie night, as long as, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. But Dap has to tell you about our book of the month. I forgot all about that. You did? It's
1: crazy talk. How are you going to forget?
2: Ah, ah it's just stupid uh, crappy wine
1: that it, that it, it, yeah just I, it's bad dude it's, re- it's
2: really bad um yeah white cloud be a step up
1: it would absolutely 100 uh may's book of the month your 11 choices are and and we're already getting um uh yes as of right now everything has been voted on at least once uh There's been 32 votes, and the poll's been open for about an hour, and you can choose from The Authority, Volume 1. This is available in a variety of formats. Uh, We're focusing on the first 12 issues. So if you have the omnibus, it's in there. If you have the hardcover that was recently released, it's in there. You can get it on Comixology. Uh, Border Worlds from Don Simpson, also uh, available in both formats. Brat Pack is available from IDW. Uh, Clandestine Classic, collecting Clandestine 1 through 8, Marvel Comics Presents 158, and X-Men, and Clandestine 1 and 2. Um, if that wins, I'll have a funny story to tell about that book. Uh, Volume 3, The Dreaming City, The Michael Moorcock Library, um, you can get that physically or digitally. The Flaming Carrot Omnibus, same thing. Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, number five. You can go to 2000AD.com right now and get this book, this this, this massive collection, for free in either a PDF or CBZ format. So even if it doesn't win, you should still get it because there's plenty of stuff in there to read. Uh, Marvel Graphic Novel, number 29, Hulk Thing, The Big Change, which is available for a song on comiXology. Mystery Tree, Volume 1, Park Bench, Superman, Panic in the Sky. I've been looking for a reason to reread this. This collects Action Comics, numbers 474 and 475. Superman, Man of Steel, numbers 9 and 10. Adventures of Superman, numbers 488 and 489. And Superman, number 66. So this, this story was a lot of fun. Um vince and i would probably a lot of um of fun recapping this book but yeah there you go go forth go vote uh the poll will end in five days it ends monday afternoon i believe so you have the whole weekend so if you don't listen to this until monday because your weekend is busy for whatever reason um you have time to Mm -hmm. vote if you miss the tweets and the facebook post um the slackers were already aware of it, so um, there's no excuse. Everybody should. Uh, everybody who's eligible should be voting for the May Book of the Month.
2: Well said. Oh, thanks. And on top of all that, remember, do yourself a favor, hedge your bets, and say, "Goodnight." What's his name again? Jack David. Ah, oh, well, we're short
1: tonight. Yeah. So she said, good night. Not doing the whole
2: thing. Not to you, Mr. Kingsnake. Seriously. <laughs> uh, yeah. <Kingslayer> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Mr. Excalibur. Or Pantscalibur. Oh, just... sca- <laughs> <laughs> pants <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, the lady of the lake is wishing for her Pantscalibur. Oh, <laughs> oh, we're so silly. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Kevin Matchstick indeed. (laughs) Seriously.
2: Everybody, hey, come back here. We love you so much. In the meantime, do all that stuff we told you to do. Come back. We'll be waiting here for you. Thank you, Zach. We love you so much. You're so damn cute. And just come back. Tell them bye. Bye. Yeah.